Welcome to the Healing School uh, here in Dallas. This is uh, what the twelfth of uh, August, two thousand six, and it's, I stand in awe to think now that it's been at least ten years. It may be, maybe this is year eleven. I don't even remember. I'd have to go back and look at some of my old tapes myself to see the dates. I, and then it may not be right because for the first year or two, I didn't even put a date on them or nothing. You know, I just, I didn't dream that God was going to do what he was doing. I just <laughs> had no idea. But for those of you that whenever I first started uh, doing a little teaching, I began to learn a little bit about God's word. And one day I thought, Lord, I'm going out ministering to people. Almost, I mean, it first started out, you know, as a Southern Baptist deacon, I'd hear somebody sick in the church. And so I'd think, well, you know, I've learned from God's Word what could be their problem. And I'm, I know what God says a little bit about how to get them healed. So I'll go over and see how they receive this. So I'd go over to one of my Baptist brothers or sisters that were sick or afflicted. And I'd sit down with them and spend anywhere from two to six hours with one family and build their faith, get their sins repented of, pray the prayer of faith over them, and see God heal them. And, you know, one or two a year. And then three or four a year. And then when it got up to six, by the time it got to six in a year, you know, many people in the Baptist church knew what I was doing. So one year at a, I don't know, Christmas party or Thanksgiving party or whatever it was, I think it was a Christmas party, we walked into the house and one of the guys said, Thurman, tell us what good things God's been doing in your life this year. I said, wow, he can't get no better than this. And I said, I've seen God heal a half a dozen people this year. A half a dozen. I said, he can't get no better than this. Little did I know that I would see him do that many in one Saturday afternoon in the future. I had no idea the place that God was going to take me. But it's been an awesome walk to be able to hear the Lord's voice. To lose touch of the number of times. At first, I can remember every time God spoke to me, everything He told me to do, and all of those first ones, I can remember exactly where I was and everything, every time He spoke to me. And many of you here today probably have heard God's audible voice, heard Him speak to you to tell you to do something. If you have not, if you'll get in there and serve Him and seek Him, And really worship Him and praise Him. He will talk to you. He will talk to you. Because He's spoken to me, I don't even know how many times anymore I've lost touch, but I know well over 30 times the King has spoken to me audibly. Uh, Many times, right here, standing right here where I'm at, right here, you know, as I pray for people, I've had Him just speak to me and tell me what's wrong with them, what they need to do, what their sin is. It's amazing, isn't it? To serve the living God. To think how many years I was deceived. <clears throat> I lived and was raised in a church, like many of you, that didn't know miracles and healings were available. Some of you were raised in churches you didn't even see salvations. At least in the Baptist church, we did see people get saved. But that's about the extent of it. <clears throat> but when the Lord called me and told me what He wanted me to do, Wow. So I've seen him do some wonderful things since then. So I made that first tape. One night after I was going, I would go out. And, of course, I might spend only one night a month, you know, going and ministering to people. And all of them didn't get healed either, you know. Some of them did, some didn't. 
But enough of them did get healed that I kept going. I did see God do a few little miracles. Well, after it got bigger, you know, I'm going one time a month and then one time a week and then three times a week and then five times a week and then six times a week. And yet where I'm, I'm called by somebody to go at somebody's home nearly every night. I thought, wow. I said, God, there's not enough of me anymore. I said, I don't understand. I've been teaching this over and over and over and over to people. But I said, Lord, I'm just one person. I can only go one place at a time. I said, what in the world am I going to do to solve this problem? And, of course, the word he spoke to me was so resounding that only God could have thought about it. He said, make tapes. Is that awesome? I should have thought of that. That's so simple. Make tapes. So I thought, make a tape? Okay, Lord. So I sat down in my little bedroom upstairs and I made my first 90-minute tape. And I titled it The Cross. That was the first one I've ever made. I made that tape and made it on a little dinky machine. And, you know, every time I start and stop, it had snaps and pops and everything else. But I made it. And a little microphone cost a buck and a half, you know, that I plugged into it. You know, really had some good equipment. <coughs> so anyway, I started making those. Of course, the little machine would record at twice the speed, you know. So it took a nine. Well, I say it was a ninety-minute tape. It took me about five or six or seven hours to make it. But uh, then it took forty-five minutes to duplicate it, you know, to make another one. And I made a few of those. And I gave it to a few friends. I asked them to listen to it and see what they thought. And they were amazed at what was on that tape. And it seemed like everybody wanted a copy of it. And so I went out and bought me a little, finally a little 16-speed recorder that would make one every three minutes. And I thought, man, this I never need nothing more than this. You know, so I would spend an hour making tapes and make me a whole rack of them, you know. And then I'd take them and it wasn't long. I'd give them all away. And so one day I thought, well, I'm going to have to have another one of them little machines to keep up. So I bought a second one. And uh, they were on about 300 bucks a piece. So I had two of them now. And I thought, well, I ought to be able to keep up with two of those things. And then it wasn't long. That didn't last. And then we started making videos, uh, started doing the healing schools and, and videotaping the things instead of just audiotaping them. And, and usually... The teachings on Saturday would run three to four or sometimes five hours. And so by putting it on video, <coughs> uh, everybody wanted a copy of the video. So I bought me ten VCRs and a distribution amplifier and started recording ten videotapes at a time. Well, you know, if it's a four-hour teaching, in four hours you could make ten. Then you could put them on and you go to bed and wake up in four hours and take them out. You know, set your alarm, wake them up in four hours and put in ten more and go back to bed and sleep four more hours. You know, at night, you know, in the daytime, you, you know, go out and work, do whatever you're going to do, come back, change them. Y'all have no idea, you know, what I did. And then after I got to ten, you know, I thought, well, I can't keep up, so I need to buy another rack of ten. Well, before it was over, we had 135 VCRs recording every day, all day long. Had a room full of VCRs, and we had we finally went to a three-position tape recorder, and then a four added onto it, and now then we've got seven of those. You know, they cost about fifteen hundred bucks a piece, and now then I don't even know. I mean, I bought Phil 
three more nine-tower DVD and CD recorders the other day. I think we can make about 80, I think, about 80 or 90 CDs or DVDs at a time right now, as well as the videos. We, we're back down to 20 video recorders because we, don't, we just took them out. Very few people use video anymore, the, the VHS, so we don't, thank goodness, because the DVDs are fast, you know, and they're a whole lot cheaper and everything. So now then... We went from, I went from one CD, or I mean from one cassette tape, you know, to a handful a week. But right now, between the CDs, DVDs, the cassette tapes, and just a handful of VHS, we don't give away hardly any of those anymore. We are giving away about 10,000 a week. Isn't that amazing? Free and postpaid. About 10,000 CDs and DVDs a week. And the reason stuff, people listen to our stuff and the reason they come is just like Randy right here. Randy just walked in uh, last August, a year ago. He came to a healing school in Justin. And Randy had been having, he was on medication, heavily medicated. And he was having about, what, three seizures a week? Randy, about three seizures a week. And I explained to him that, you know, and of course his pastor, which is there with him, J.C., he explained to him that he had to get rid of his sin. It was sin. J.C. had been coming here for a long time. And then he's got his own church now, praise the Lord. But uh, he explained to Randy that he had to get rid of sin. And so Randy had already come up for me to pray for him, but he hadn't confessed his sin. So Pastor J.C. told him, did you confess your sins? He said, well, no. He said, well, you've got to confess all them sins, get rid of them. Now go back up and let them and pray for you again. And so he did. And he had a... He was riding a motorcycle that day, and he had a motorcycle jacket with all his medication in his pockets. And he said, from what I've heard you say today, what do I do with this medication? I said, well, that's between you and God. I don't tell you what to do with your medication. I said, God does that. I said, I just teach his word. I pray the prayer of faith for you, and you that's between you and the Lord after that. I said, uh, I said so whatever you, if, if the Lord moves on your heart to get rid of your medication, some way he'll tell you. And I said, you know, if your faith level is up there, you just know from the Word you don't need medication. But I said, everybody's faith level is not in the same place. So I said, you know, I don't never tell you to get off medication. So I said, whatever God tells you to do, that's what you need to do. He said, okay. So he got on his motorcycle and started home to Denton from Justin. And when he got home, got off his motorcycle, started reaching his pocket to take out his medication, and it was all gone. He had lost it all on the way over. And he hadn't had a seizure since last August, have you, Randy? Is Jesus awesome or is he awesome? See, that's why we do what we do. Because people like this come back to the healing schools, you know, as a testimony, as a live testimony to, for the man that, of course, was having three a week, you know, and on medication, and after prayer and repenting of his sins, a year later he's had no seizures and no medication. We know Jesus showed up for you, don't we, Randy? So that's the kind of God we serve. And many of you here today have, or that I know, some of you have already received those kind of things from the Lord. And if you have not, then the reason we don't see God do these kind of things is because of our evil heart of unbelief. You know, it's unfortunate that when we go back and read the scriptures, we see that the nation of Israel, even after they saw God's miracles, I mean, they saw some miracles. I mean, most of us have never seen the Red Sea separate and we walk across on dry ground. That was 
after they saw all kinds of other miracles. That wasn't the first one they saw. They'd been seeing nothing but miracles. And then he separated the Red Sea, and probably two or three million people walked across. Now, you know, we saw the Exodus, the Ten Commandments, the Exodus and the Ten Commandments, and they've done a good job in that movie. How many saw the Ten Commandments? Okay, everybody has almost seen the Ten Commandments. But let me tell you, the movie that they did was nothing compared to the real thing. There was maybe a couple of thousand people or maybe two or three thousand people in that movie. Maybe. But for real, there was about two or three or four million. In other words, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Moses led across the Red Sea that day. So that means... In fact, I heard a Jewish guy, as I said this one time, a Jewish guy come up and told me, he said, you know, it's written in our annals of Israel, the logs that they have over there, that God opened 12 channels across the Red Sea. One for each of the 12 tribes. Can you imagine, here's the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Reuben or whatever, and he said, now this is the one you go through. And here is a huge wall of water standing there. And who knows how thick it was, maybe a hundred feet or whatever. And there is a, maybe a quarter mile wide dry ground with water on both sides and then a hundred foot of water and another one a quarter mile wide for another group of people. And they're going to walk through this on dry ground. I can see the children now looking through that clear water down and they're seeing all the way through and seeing their friends on the other side and said, Mom, look, there's Johnny down yonder. Look at all them fish in between here and there. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I mean, no, we really can't even imagine what it was like. But God did that. It's written in the book. You know, we think about what He can do to stand a walls of water for the open one track. Of course, if He opened one track, if the Dallas-Fort Metroplex walked across it, if you happened to be on 35 this morning going that way, did you notice it was stopped? They're working on it up there, and as far as we, when we come off of 635 from there all the way to here, which is two miles, it's solid block traffic, and then as far as you can see, it's solid block traffic. There's thousands of people out there in cars and trucks this morning that ain't moving. And just, that's on one little highway. One little highway. Can you imagine if God were to give you the job this morning, say, okay, with television, radio, and everything you've got, PA and everything else, it's going to be your job to get the Dallas-Fort Metroplex together today to lead them to Oklahoma City by foot. Now, if he wasn't in control of that, Randy, we ain't going to get that done, are we? You see where I'm coming from? And here they had no television, no radio, no PA system, no nothing. And God came to Moses and told him that's what he wanted to do. Take this mass of people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. I can't even fathom that, you know. Just like whenever we think about, how would you like to water three million people? And that's not just the people. That's their animals to go with them. Now then, you don't think about the water tap, because most of you are not engineers, but you don't think about when you go up to your water faucet and turn the water on and just leave it running. The water you're wasting. That that's got to come from somewhere. 
Did you know that there is... They built a new water line out to Justin here a while back. And it was just a little one. They had some huge drag lines out there. Dug a huge hole about eight or nine feet down in the ground for several miles. And they put a 24-inch main to Justin. Just 24 inches. Two foot across. And I was stopping there watching these guys. I mean, I was talking to them. I said, man, that's a water line. He said, no, that's a toy. I said, what do you mean? He said, we put some water lines up here. Several from some of these big lakes coming down to Dallas here a few years ago. And he said those mains coming from those lakes were eight feet in diameter. said you could drive your pickup through them. I said, you put some water lines in eight foot? Yeah, not just one. He said several. He said that's feeding the water pumps and the water plants in Dallas so Dallas will have water. Now, wait a minute. That brings this whole perspective down when Moses spoke to the rock and said, bring forth water to water these people. You know what I'd always envision when he spoke to the rock? A little hole opened up and a little... You don't open a little two or three inch water line or even a fire hose to feed or water three or four million people, do you? You open a river. Can you imagine when Moses spoke to the rock and God opened it up a torrent of water, maybe 8 or 10 or 12 or 20 feet in diameter, came gushing out, washing a river down through the desert so that millions of people, 3 million people, just think, 3 million, that's all we got, 3 to 4 million in the entire Dallas-Fort Metroplex. And think of the miles of water lines that come to your house so you can open the faucet and get a drink. But you've got all this mass of people out here today, and you're going to have to water them. <clears throat> and Moses speaks to the rock. God opens the water faucets, and the water flows. Let me tell you, you think that if God can do that, you think if you'll repent of your sins, he could heal your body? <clears throat> See, we, we think too much like mankind. But maybe, just maybe, as an engineer, I've stepped into a world to see just enough of what it takes to feed and water this massive number of people that as I'm stepped into this realm, I think, you know, I look at what it takes for us to do this, and God just spoke and it happened. He spoke and the world came into existence. Now I'm beginning to understand as I, I mean, if, <clears throat> if I'm going to build a building, which I've built several, and some big ones all over the world, we always do the figuring of the piers and the foundation. That's the first thing we do. How much foundation is going to be required for this building to hold? I know we built a building in New Orleans, or right down there close to New Orleans, 30 years ago. And when we built the building, we'd done all the figuring, and then we load tested the piers. And they wouldn't hold. And so we had to put another $100,000 worth of concrete under that building and piers to hold it up. When we finally got it load tested for it would hold, we built a building on it, building still standing. You know. But I think can you imagine the Lord comes to you and say, You know, son or daughter, I want to build an earth. How would how are you going to hang the foundations out there in space? What would you say? I don't have a clue, Lord. I don't have a clue. Think about this. One day the Lord decided he's going to build us this magnificent 
thing to live on. He said, I want, I want my people. I, I want some people to love me. But I want to build them a garden spot. I want to build them something beautiful. So he spoke and he built this magnificent earth, which is about over 7,000 miles straight through. And just a few miles down, it's molten red hot, white hot, all the way through, a ball of fire. But he put a little tiny surface on it called dirt and water, and put an environment that we can live on. And this last week, we went down to Padre Island, and we stood on the beach at night in that big, beautiful moon, and the winds blowing cool, and the water coming up on there. And if you can't realize that God is awesome, standing there with that waves and you're looking out across there and you see that beautiful moon that's 248,000 miles away. To think how bright and how beautiful it was. But yet just think, if you could travel at the speed of light on this earth, and this earth, of course, is revolving itself. When God made it, he gave it a little spin. He put the sun off out here, which is 96 million miles away, and he gave the earth a little spin. And that earth spins at 1,003 miles an hour. So that it makes one revolution every 24 hours and zero seconds. And it don't ever slow down. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? We think about how he done that. And then he give it that little toss through space. And it's going almost 70,000 miles an hour forward. Most of us don't have a clue. But today, we are flying through empty space at 70,000 miles an hour. Almost. And then spinning at 1,003 miles an hour. Now, that just happened to be exactly right so that we don't go out away from the sun or don't pull into the sun. We stay exactly the same distance from the sun all the time because of the magnetic pull. Now then, if, if God could take that and we could take the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles a second, and we could travel at that speed... And we were to leave the earth, it would only take us a, minute, a second and a half to get to the moon. A second and a half you could be at the moon. And then 8 minutes and 19 seconds you could be at the sun. So when you wake up in the morning and you see the first ray of light coming to you, that ray of light is 8 minutes and 19 seconds old when you see it. It took it that long to get here. At 186,000 miles a second. But... If you could travel for five hours at that speed, you'd pass the last planet in our galaxy. Five hours. You'd be past them. And then if you continued to travel at that speed for a year, nothing would change. You wouldn't see nothing else. Everything would look the same in the galaxy. And year two, the same. And year three, the same. And finally, at the fourth year, you would begin to approach the first star in the Milky Way. The closest one to us. At 186,000 miles a second. So let me tell you. Don't take your Cessna and start trying to fly out there to the first star because you ain't going to make it. You ain't going to make it. And just think. If you could fly on for 100 billion light years which is something that's not fathomable by the human mind. And you could turn around and look and see, you would see, it would look like magnificent bright lights out there. They'd be forming all kinds of strange-looking things. And you think, what a beautiful light that is over there. 
But that light you saw over there is an entire galaxy in a solar system with trillions of stars and planets in it. And it makes one light. And there's trillions of them you can see. In fact, you know what the astronomers tell you today with the Hubble telescope? As we stood on the beach in San Marcos, I thought about we flew along that beach of Padre Island in an airplane, a little private airplane, at 130 or 40 miles an hour for a long, long time. And all we could see was beach and ocean. And it goes all the way around to Houston. And I thought, when we actually got on the ground and walked in there, the millions of grains of sand that was under our feet. But they say that if you took every beach in the world and every grain of sand in the world, and then you were to take every star and every planet in a galaxy, there would be more stars and more galaxies and there are sands, grains of sand on the shores of every shore in the world. And who made all that? God did. And he made all that for you and me. So there ain't no problem for him to heal epilepsy, is it, Randy? Not at all. All you got to do is do what he says, right? What I'm trying to say is the God we serve is beyond our wildest dreams. And you got to start thinking like God and not like man. you got to realize that when he makes you a promise or a statement, he means what he says. You can't do it your way. You got to do it his way. He doesn't yield to anything except his way. Traditions of men, like I used to do, had made the word of God to no effect to me. That's why I never saw a healing, never saw a miracle. But when I begin to believe the word of God, like it's written, I begin to see God do awesome things. So, the first thing you've got to realize today is you've got to develop the God kind of faith. And the only way you can develop the God kind of faith is to get in His Word and spend time with Him. Worship Him and praise Him. And the closest parallel to this I can tell you on earth that I know about is a man and his wife. If a husband spends no time with his wife, doesn't love her, doesn't hold her close, doesn't whisper sweet things into her ear that she wants to hear. She'll never be the wife of the potential that she could be. But the man that loves his wife, that spends time with her, lots of time with her, tells her how beautiful she is, tells her how much he loves her, and all those kind of things, that woman will be a unique woman. She'll be different. Now the woman that's always telling her husband, how wonderful he is and how glad she is she's married to him. How great he is. That woman will have a husband that will be beyond her wildest dreams because she's always loving him, telling him how good he is, how much, how great he is. I don't care if you're married to a man and the only thing he can do is slide the chairs back in and put them in straight when he does it. When he does that, you need to tell him, you do that better than anybody i ever seen. You need to find the good things that he does, and then you need to praise him for those good things. The reason a man's like that, because he's made in the image of God. And God said in his word, he loves for us to praise him 
and worship him and thank him. And he goes so far as to say, if we don't praise him and if we don't worship him, we will perish. He will destroy us. Kind of strange, isn't it? But all these things are written in the Word. So, when you really get in the Word, really start listening to God's Word, you begin to understand who He is and how He works. Because if you don't study the Word of God, you'll never understand God. But as you study the Word, you can begin to understand this magnificent God that we serve, that lives in us. He is an awesome God. Father, in the name of Jesus... We come to you now, Lord, to start a teaching, another healing school. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that you're the king of the universe. And you're beyond our wildest dreams. But Lord, we're your children. And we know you love us. And we know you have a plan for every one of us. And Lord, in all things, whatever kind of trials and tribulations and things happen, we're going to praise you and thank you through them all. We're not going to fuss. We're not going to grumble. We're just going to praise you and thank you for all things, because that's what you said do. Now, Lord, bless us today. As we open your word, we begin to study your word. We ask you to bless everything we do today. And, Father, I ask you to reveal to every person here today what they need to know. Whatever reason they came, if they came to increase their knowledge, their wisdom, their understanding of the word, then, Lord, do that for them. If they come to be healed, Lord, show them what their problem was and how to... Receive their healing today because you're the Savior, the healer, the deliverer. And when people come to you in faith and love after repentance of sins, you never turn us away. Thank you, Father, for being our Lord and our God. Now, bless everything we do. Now, I rebuke the enemy and I command the enemy not to steal a single word out of anybody's mind or heart today as we discuss him and you, Lord. And we're going to ask you to bless everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. We do serve an awesome, mighty God. <clears throat> Step out from under that speaker. First of all, I was raised up in a church that didn't tell me who the enemy was. I didn't know who he was. So today I'm going to talk a little bit first about who our enemy is. You've got to understand who this beast is and how he works. Now, the first thing I want to tell you about the enemy is... God made him. God made the devil. It was in his plan. As the scripture says that nothing was made that was made except God made it. Both visible and invisible. So he made it all. He had to have the devil to do what he has to do. So the devil was made by God. Now he didn't make him in the form of this wicked creature. And initially, he made him in the form of an anointed cherub. There was three of them. And Lucifer was one of them. And Lucifer appeared to be the most powerful of all of them. He was the anointed one. And he walked in the garden of God. And he was perfect in all of his ways until greed came into his heart. When greed came into his heart, then he wanted to exalt his throne above God's. And when he said that, then there was war in heaven, and God threw him out of heaven and threw him down to the earth. Now, from all the cosmos that's out there, why didn't he throw him somewhere else? But he put him on the earth. Why do you think he put him on earth? He put him on earth to test man. He wants to find out what you're going to do. He didn't want a bunch of robots 
He wanted a group of people that would love him and learn how to walk in faith. Because he's a faith God. And he wants you to learn how to walk in faith. Because we are going to reign and rule with the king forever. That's an awesome privilege, isn't it? To think about. We're going to get to reign and rule. And some of us get to start a whole lot earlier than others. Some of us learn how to do it on earth. To a degree. And I'm grateful for that. Now then. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. We start out about the enemy. Paul tells us a little bit about this enemy. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, you got to realize if he said we wrestle, that means you're locked in physical combat with this creature. He comes and he's, he doesn't just come by and you can take a, a one punch like a boxer and punch him out and he leaves. He is a wrestler and he comes and attaches himself to you. And when he attaches himself to you, he don't want to turn loose. And it's, sometimes it's not easy to kick him off. I mean, I don't know. When I was in high school, I wrestled for one year in school. Then I watched a little bit of wrestling on television. But you know, when you, even today, the other night we was watching something on CNN. And I flipped from channel in a hotel we was in. I wanted to watch, see what's going on in Israel. Everything's so hot over there. Otherwise, I don't ever watch television. But I turned it, turned it over there, and in the process of getting to it, I went through a wrestling match. When I went through the wrestling match, I stopped about a half a minute, maybe a half a minute. And I watched these guys struggling, I mean, pushing, trying to throw. I thought, you know, that's us and our enemy right there. That's us. And those two men were locked in mortal combat, and each one of them was trying to overcome the other one, and neither one of them could overcome the other one. They were pretty well matched. But, I mean, there was some energy being exerted from those two men. I mean, they were both, had every muscle in their body tensed, trying to throw the other one down. And guess what? If one of them slacked off when the other one had put the most effort forth, he would flop that over one other one down on the mat. And as I watched about 30 seconds of that wrestling match before I went on towards CNN, I thought, you know... That's exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now these beings, the only difference in these beings in this physical wrestling match that we see, we can't see these guys. They're here locking themselves onto you and you cannot see them. And these beasts, as we have read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that when Jesus came to this earth, the spirit world was here. Satan had been here from the beginning. God put him here right at the beginning, cast him down to the earth. And then, since he wanted to become God, he came up to the woman and began to lie to her. Has God really said you cannot eat of any of the fruit of the garden? No, he didn't say we can't eat of any of the fruit of the garden. He said we can eat of all the fruit of the garden except the one tree in the middle of the garden. Oh, because God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. Isn't that amazing how he lies to us? He's really good. He's sharp. He's re- but God gave him all those abilities. 
So he deceived us. And of course, we died spiritually. And the first and only perfect man on this earth died. Now, when, when he died spiritually and it separated him from God, when he sinned, it separated him from God. Same thing happens to us today. But also, Satan came into the garden with a twofold curse. Number one was sin. And number two was sickness and disease. There was no sickness and disease on the earth until Satan came into the garden. No such thing as sickness. No such thing as sin. But when man sinned and he died spiritually, it brought sickness and disease in. And that devil now was moving in a, as an invisible being to put thoughts into minds of people. And even the very first ones, it wasn't long till we had only two young men alive on the face of the earth and both of them brothers. And the devil began to move on the heart and the, and the brain of one of them until he became very upset with his brother and finally he killed his brother. Now, isn't it amazing? So, that hasn't changed much, has it? The only thing, Satan don't have two men to deal with now. Now he's got billions of people to deal with. And he loves it. Because he comes and he does what he does. And those of us in the church, most of us are just like I was. Most of my life, as a Christian, I didn't know who my enemy was. I didn't know how he worked. I didn't know sickness and disease came from him. I didn't know sin came from him. I just thought, you know, I'm capable of sinning. Well, this flesh is capable of sinning, all right, because it's being worked on by the devil. The devil put thoughts in your mind, and I'm telling you, there's not been a single human being alive on this earth today that's not been deceived by that devil. Because the Word of God says he has deceived every one of us. Now then, I thought I knew the Bible. When I was a young man in my probably mid-30s by that time, I'd already been to Vietnam and back, and I'm now back in church. I mean, I, I wasn't in church much when I was in Vietnam or in the military because I couldn't find many churches to go to. It was very difficult to serve God in the military. or I mean, to go to church. It wasn't difficult to serve God. I served Him the whole time. I never got off into the wild world of drinking and drugs and alcohol and sex and all that kind of stuff. I didn't go there. I never did go there. I stayed and walked wholly in obedience to God's Word. But I didn't get to spend much time in church until I got out of the military. When I got out of the military, I got back in church in a very strong way and began to serve God and, and became a deacon shortly, a Sunday school teacher shortly. And, and you could ask me, say, do you believe the Word of God? I said, oh yeah, absolutely, every word of it. But that wasn't true. You know, I just thought I believed it. My problem was I didn't know what it said. I could read it, but I didn't understand it. Now, it had not been revealed to me. So I decided one day that if I would read the Word of God and just really tell the Lord, Lord, I want to know what you're saying in this book. So I started reading and studying the book anywhere from 5 to 15 hours a week. And I did that for about 10 years. After 5 to 15 hours a week. And the more I read and the more I studied the book, the more intrigued I became with this magnificent book I carried in my hand. I thought, if this book is true, if this book is really true, I'm now seeing this book as an owner's manual. This is just not a book. 
This book is an owner's manual from the creator to the created being, which is us. And he's telling us everything we need to know about life and how to make it work. Everything. <clears throat> the book. Do you know what many of us do? We buy a new car. And some of us that are older, that maybe have not been in the engineering world for sure, and you buy a new car, and you go out there and get and used to, the car, you, you hadn't bought a car in 15 or 20 years. So your old car is 20 years old. And you finally say, well, I need a new one. And so your old one, you went out there and you put the key in it and you started it and you pulled it down in gear and you drove off. But you go out there and you bought a new one and you went out there and you tried to crank it and it wouldn't start. You had to figure out what you had to do and all of a sudden you notice when the keys enter, bells and whistles and lights and things and doors and lights don't go off when you close the door anymore. The headlights don't go off. You say, how do I turn all this stupid stuff off? It's a whole new world, isn't it? You got to get used to this new world. So you get out the book. And you begin to read the book. You know, Ty said yesterday we were having problems. He bought a brand new airplane. And we flew it down to Padre Island and back. And on the way back, the intercom between he and I didn't work very good at all. And we tried everything. And we just, I mean, there's a lot of switches knobs on that panel, let me tell you. A whole bunch of them. And if just like Ty, he's got a new pickup, and he thought it's no problem driving that new pickup. Well, I'll buy me a new airplane, I'll just get in it, we'll go. No, they sent us to Kansas. We went to school for three days before they'd even let us get in the airplane. Three days worth of school before you can get in the airplane. Isn't that amazing? Just learning the systems. And then we could not get this volume to work on the headsets, and so we flew this thing all the way back over to Arlington to the dealer, and the guy comes out and he said, oh, you didn't have this knob in the right place. And he put it in the right place, and we could hear perfect. And if we went to taxi off, I said, don't that make you feel like a dubby? <laughs> well, see, we had a book, and we read the book a lot, but we still didn't find the answer until we went and found somebody that had the ability to know how that thing worked. Oh, man, that's good. Let me tell you for sure, if you, you can have the book in your hand, and you can be reading the book and still you can miss that one little knob that you need to know that's there. And that's what we had done. And man, did it make us feel dumb. You know, oh no, you guys are okay. All you got to do, the reason you can't hear between each other is, see these two little knobs right here? Yeah, one of them for the pilot, one of them for the co-pilot, and the rest of the crew. So what do you do? He said, well, if you turn this one up, then the pilot can hear you real well. And so he reached over and turned the knob up, and we could hear perfect. Now then, whenever you fly your life, if you take the owner's manual, and you don't do what God says, and if you don't know what he says, you'll be going through life wondering, like I was, why am I sick? Because when I read the owner's manual, it tells me that I'm not supposed to be sick. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was not supposed to be sick until I read the owner's manual. And when I read the owner's manual, I had been sick a lot. And one day I asked the Lord, 
since I'd heard his voice several times when he started talking to me, I said, Lord, I don't understand as I'm reading this manual. It appears from what I can see in this book that you not only bore my sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, I had that pretty good as a Southern Baptist. They taught me that real well. Jesus bore my sin on the cross. Everybody knows Jesus bore your sin on the cross? You know that? He paid the price for your sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. But I did not know He had paid the price for my sickness on the cross 2,000 years ago. I didn't know that. So, I had had many forms of sickness and disease. Double pneumonia, flus, colds, down in my back a half a dozen times. I mean, you name it, I'd had several things wrong with me. I mean, but I thought that when something happens, it happens to everybody else. So if it happens to them, then it's just a normal way of life. Like I've told the story a lot of times, I'd had a lot of back trouble in my life, my first part of my life. I mean, I could just, I mean, I love to work, so I'd be doing something, and I'd pick up something and twist like this. Oh, man, oh, all of a sudden my back goes, oh, my gosh, another just slipped, another disc, and I've got to go to the doctor or the chiropractor or whatever, and I'd be in excruciating pain. And I'd go, and maybe they'd give me one, two, three adjustments, or the doctor would tell me something else or whatever, or maybe I'd lay on my back for a week or two or whatever, and then finally everything would get back in place. And I had this several times, and you ask the doctor, doctor, why, why do I have back trouble? He said, well, you're tall and slim, and so tall and slim people have back trouble. Well, I mean, he's a doctor, so I believe him. Until one day I was in the doctor's office, and there was a guy in there, and I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I got back trouble. And he was short and fat. I thought, now, wait a minute. If a short and fat guy has back trouble, and a tall, skinny guy has back trouble, it not, has nothing to do with what we, our size. There was something else the problem. And so by reading the owner's manual, I found out that it was sin. Now then, do you know short, fat people and tall, skinny people can all sin? You know that? Don't make no difference, does it? No, that don't have nothing to do with it. I mean, your size, your height, your size, your, whether you're this big around the beanpole or you're this big around makes no difference. You can sin anyway. And sin will bring sickness and disease to your body. Now, when I got a hold of this, that sin is what brought this, and that I could repent of my sins and be forgiven, but still I couldn't be healed unless somebody could pray for me in faith. I mean, just, just repenting of sin doesn't get it done. You've got to be able to pray in faith. But you can't pray in faith if that person has not got their sins repented of. So that person has to repent of their sins. When they repent of their sins, and then we go to the Word of God. I mean, I think about these examples. Of course, I know I give these examples in lots of healing schools. But when I tell Randy's testimony, there he is sitting there. You can see him. You know, and the story I told, he's not saying, no, that's not true. That's what happened. So here he is. So, you know, you say, hey, this is not some story secondhand. But he had, how long, how many years had you had that seizure stuff, Randy? Since 83. He'd had those seizures since 83. But what do you think started bringing those on? Sin. You know? But now let me tell you, he'd had his since 83 until last year, last August. But I think about Sharon sitting over here. Sharon now, she is sitting here right here on the corner in the, in the kind of the blue 
uh, Delia, there she is right there, this beautiful uh, lady over here, she had had her problem 30 years. She had had a back trouble. She got a whiplash in a car wreck, and she had never put the two together that it was because of a sin she had committed when she was a young girl. She committed a sin, allowed the enemy to come in, put a whiplash on her, and she got down on her back. And then through the years, the enemy continued to work on her with brain tumors, an arm out of shape, a hip that wouldn't work, and everything else. And I kid her saying, Sharon, you were a basket case. That's what I told her. When I, but she said, Thurman, when she came here the first time a couple of years ago, she came up for prayer that day and she said, I've been prayed for by at least a hundred people and nothing has ever happened. I said, well, the number one thing is, Sharon, your problem is sin, and you never repented of the sin. I said, how long have you had the problem? She said, oh, 30 years. I said, I've been in excruciating pain in my back, and it's getting worse, and I've got brain tumors, and my arm's getting where it won't stay in socket or whatever it was. It wouldn't work, and her hip was giving her trouble. She had all kinds of problems. I said, the enemy is slowly killing you. Here she's a young woman. She's still a young woman. But I said, what you've got to do is repent of the sins that you've committed in life since you've become a Christian. And so she did. She repented. I said, now then, what scripture did you use to base your faith on to come before the king? Since he says, I watch over my word to perform my word. Jeremiah 1.12. She said, well, I've never used a scripture. I said, you know what you've got? Nothing. I said, don't you think we ought to do it God's way? Well, sure, she says. I don't have a problem doing it God's way. But you've got to know what the owner's manual says. So, she repented of her sins, just like the Lord told her to do. Repent, turn from your wicked ways. Well, she'd already turned from her wicked ways. She just didn't realize that their sins were still following her and the demons were still killing her because they had come in years ago. So, she didn't understand this enemy that we're talking about here that we're wrestling against. Literally, she was locked in mortal combat on a day-by-day basis with a group of spiritual beings that she could not see that was destroying her flesh. But when she repented of her sins, and then we rebuked the devil, we took a scripture like, well, there's many of them there, but you can take a scripture like Mark 16, 17, and 18, where in Mark 16, 17, and 18, Jesus made you a promise. He said, in these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name you shall drive out devils, or demons. And then you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So, after repenting of her sins, and taking a scripture like that, and standing on it and doing what it says, then I told her, I said, Sharon, the Lord also tells the guy that's doing the praying, he has to pray in faith. I said, so I'm going to pray in faith for you. And since you've done everything right according to God's word, I'm going to guarantee you God's going to heal you. And he did. Now, this little lady that was a basket case that had been to the doctor all these years, no telling how much much medication or whatever painkillers and everything else she had taken, and had been to a doctor sometimes one to three or four times a week for the last 27 years, virtually was instantly healed of the back problem. And then over a very short period of time, the brain tumors all left, the arm quit being a problem, and the hip and everything else. And today, Sharon Jones, sitting right up here on the front row, is a completely wonderful, totally, completely healed young woman walking in divine health. And you like that a lot better, don't you, Sharon? Yes, she does. But see, for a while, I used to kid Sharon. I know the Lord says, no coarse joking. 
but I don't consider this course joking. It's kind of just getting her attention. When she would come in, I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm great. I said, you haven't backslid into any kind of sin. She says, I'm never going to sin again under no conditions. Well, see, she's already seen what sin does. And that 30 years was painful, wasn't it, Sharon? It was painful. So whenever you find out that sin is what opened the door for those demons, to these beasts that we fight against that we can't see, which is in there destroying her body. See, these demons that she was wrestling with, she can't see them. If she could have, she would have thrown them away. But she can't see these things. They're developing brain tumors. They're messing with her arm. They're messing with her hip. I mean, they're messing with her back. And they're doing it because she's under a curse because of sin years ago. But when she repented of all those sins, and we drove out the spirits and laid hands on her, the king of the universe has completely, totally healed this young woman. And here she sits right here today, and she's one of our prayer warriors today. And I'm telling you, she can pray the prayer of faith for you. That woman can pray the prayer of faith because she has seen what God done for her. I mean, when people call in and say, oh, I've got this problem. She said, well, you need to straighten up and repent of your sins. Oh, hesitate to tell you, you've got to get rid of your sin. And if you, well, i got a little sin I just can't do without. She said, well, then forget it. Ain't no use me wasting my time with you. You know, she knows that she's not the healer. She knows that Jesus is. But she knows the king don't do anything except his way. She's read the owner's manual now, see. Now, she was fighting against these same things the rest of us are fighting against. Same thing what Randy was fighting against. These beasts we call demons is what causes seizures. He's the one that caused all these problems. He is the one that does this. So if you have a physical problem, the devil is the one that's responsible for it. Now, we don't like to believe that, but I'm telling you folks, that's the truth. The devil is our enemy. As I have learned this, and God has spoken to me audibly many times and showed me and told me and from his word and backed up everything, that this is demons. These are demonic spirits that's causing this problem, and we open the door to them by sin. When we open the door, they come in. Now, there's many ways you can open the door to these beasts. Now, Paul says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not a boxing contest. This is a wrestling match. Because when these things come and attach themselves to you through sin, if you don't know to repent of that sin and drive them away, you'll carry them until they kill you. Now, I'll tell you a story about a woman in New Orleans. Cheryl likes me to tell this story because we've had so many women that have been able to get set free from this story. I went down there a few years ago in Manny, Louisiana. You probably know where that's at. Manny, Louisiana, and that little church I spoke at, probably wasn't 50 people there that night, a small group. But one of the women there was a woman in her early, mid-60s, and she was in a wheelchair. And when I got through teaching a couple of nights, she came up for prayer. And I asked her, I said, do you want me to pray for you? She said, well, yeah, I guess you can pray for me. But I said, do you think you're going to get healed? She said, well, I'd like to walk again. But I said, what do you think you're in that wheelchair for? Well, she said, I'm getting old. You know, isn't it amazing that people, when you get 60, you think you're old? I mean, you see people that think they're old. In fact, I see, especially women, if they pass 29, after that, they ain't telling you how old they are. Forget it. You know. 
Maybe 39. But after 39, that's it. I ain't never going to say how old I am after 39. That's it, because I know I'm old. No, you're not old. You're only old if you think you're old. But this woman thought she was old in her early 60s. So by thinking, that's what's wrong with her. She's in a wheelchair and she's yielding to a demonic spirit or a set of demonic spirits that's destroying her flesh and putting her in that wheelchair. I asked her, I said, ma'am, are you married? She said, well, I used to be. I said, what happened to your husband? She said, he died. So we're married, I think, 36 or 7 or what it was, 40 years, whatever they were married. She told me. But she said, my husband died a few years ago. And I said, well, were you strong then? Oh, yeah. She said, I was strong. Said, I could do anything I wanted to do. I never had, never had really had any sickness and disease. Said, I'm just really strong. But said, now then I just started getting weaker and weaker. And finally, she said, uh, about whatever, six months or a year ago, she said, I was just confined to a wheelchair. So I just kind of slowly started getting weak and I kept started stumbling around the house. And finally, I got unstable. So I thought, you know, I can't, I'm not safe to walk. So she, they give her a wheelchair, and she said, I've been in it ever since. I said, what kind of sin did you get into after your husband died? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, sin brings forth death. Anybody ever read that scripture? Sin brings forth death. It doesn't bring it forth immediately, instantly, unless you commit some kind of serious sin, then it can but sin will open the door to these demons, these beasts that Paul said if we wrestle against. And they come in and they start chewing on your body. And they start killing your body. So I said, what kind of sin did you get involved with? She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, you said your husband died a few years ago. I said, let me ask you this question. I know that you're not married again. No, I'm not married again. And I said, I know that a lot of people get lonely. And I said, have you got... Have you been going out with a man? Oh, she said, no, I don't go out with no men. I said, not at all. She said, no, I don't go out with men. I, I have not done that. I said, okay. I said, has there been any contact with you in any kind of man? She said, what do you mean? I said, have you had sex with any man? I just point, point blank. You had sex with a man since your husband died? Well, yeah, a few times. I said, who with if you don't go without nobody? She said, the meter reader. She said, guy comes by, I said, I'm sitting on the front porch, and he comes by and reads the meter, and I talked to him, and said, after a few months, we got kind of friendly, and I invited him in for tea, and said, we'd sit around and talk about tea, and said, first thing you know, said, I was lonely, and so uh, I wanted a sexual relationship, so said, uh, about once a month, he comes by, and said, we, we have sex. I said, so that's when your weakness started coming, wasn't it? Well, as a matter of fact, within a few months after that, it started. I said, do you know that sin? I said, do you know sex outside of wedlock is sin? Well, she said, well, yeah, I guess I really didn't know that. But I said, but you didn't realize it had a consequence. She said, well, no. I said, but see, it opened the door to these demons. And these demons are coming in, attaching themselves to your body, and they're killing your body. And I said, as they begin to kill it, you get weaker and weaker and weaker. And I said, as you get weaker and weaker, eventually you get in a wheelchair, and then eventually they'll bring you right on down and they'll kill you and you'll die. She said, I didn't know this. I said, I know. Most people don't because they don't read the owner's manual. But I said, this is the case with you. You're wrestling against these invisible beings that you're opening the door, and you're like putting out a hotel sign and saying, vacancy, come over here, I'm available. 
And I said, they're seeing that through your sin, and they're coming, and they're attaching themselves to your body, and they're killing your body. These are the demons that Paul says we're wrestling against. She said, well, what can I do about it? I said, you're in luck. The king of kings said, if you'll repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways, he'll forgive you and restore you to fellowship. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God that'll do that? If he didn't, I got a whole stack of us in here that wouldn't be here today. In fact, I think every one of us would already be dead. Because there ain't not one single one of us had missed it big time somewhere. We know we've all sinned somehow. Maybe not all have sinned sexually, but most have even done that. You know, because today you don't have to commit the act to be guilty. All you got to do is think about it. Isn't that amazing? You just think about having sex with someone out of wedlock and you're guilty of committing the act. So there's virtually nobody that has not done those stupid things. So anyway, this woman went the extra mile. She did it. And I told her, I said, you repent. And then I said, I can cast those demons out of you and God will restore you. And that woman had been sitting in a wheelchair, I don't know, a year or two. She repented, told God, I'm sorry, Lord, I had no idea what I was doing. But God holds you accountable even though you don't know his word. The rule book has been written. And he tells you in Leviticus 5.17, even though you don't read it and you don't know it, I still hold you accountable for everything in my word. So if he holds us accountable in Leviticus 5.17 for everything, I think we ought to at least read the book, don't you? Yes, I think we should. So she repented. I reached over and laid my hands on her, rebuked the spirits, commanded these invisible beings that I couldn't see to leave. And said, now ma'am, the king of the universe has delivered you and healed you. I said, now take my hand and get out of that wheelchair and walk off. And that lady reached up and took my hand, stepped out of that wheelchair and walked off. And the last time I was in Manny, Louisiana, she's still walking fine. Not anything wrong with this woman. But last time I was down there and she come walking in, beautiful, you know. She was a beautiful lady. Come walking in, I was 65, 66, 67, whatever she was. She had a beautiful dress on and everything strong. And I said, wow, you look beautiful today. I said, you haven't gone back to sinning, have you? She said, absolutely not. <laughs> do you know when you realize there's a consequence to those kind of sins, you won't do those stupid things? But most people don't know there's a consequence. And so they think, well, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah, God knows. He knows everything. And so, he's no respecter of persons. Now, this woman had not learned these principles when she did. And about these invisible beings that she's wrestling against. But today, she would have been dead. Now, we Cheryl and I have seen many people healed after I told her this story and... She tells me, she said, honey, you've got to tell that story every time there's a healing school, every time you're in a church. You need to tell it because there's too many men and women that are doing these things, that don't know what they're doing, that don't know they're killing their flesh. I said, well, that's true. But see, the part that we don't understand is the part that these, Paul tells us right here in Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy. You and I are not wrestling together as human beings. But you and I are wrestling against a host of beings that's invisible that we cannot see. Now then, what keeps that devil from just walking up and saying, Oh, you're a woman. I'm just going to kill you. 
What keeps them from doing that? What keeps the police officers from Dallas from just stopping you driving down the road in your car and carrying you to jail? What prevents them from doing that? No legal right. In other words, if you're driving 60 out on that highway and the sign said 60 and all the stickers on your car are all current and everything and you're doing everything right, you drive right down that road 60 mile an hour, a police officer will be driving right beside you. He can look over at you and just keep right on going, can't he? Well, what if you're driving 90? Oh, that's a different story. I mean, you go whipping by that police officer at 90 miles an hour and he's already driving 60 or 65 and he knows that speed limit. You go, whoosh. First thing happened, them lights come on, right? And that siren, he's after you. He has legal right. Because you broke the law. Now then, if you resist him, and you try to outrun him, he's going to call and get some backup. And if you pull up someone, pull out a gun, start shooting, guess what? You may not walk off there alive, right? You may have committed a sin unto death. Now that's the same way the spirit world works. That's what prevents these demons from just coming up on you and me and just killing us. They're all around us all the time. There's millions of them. There's no lack. And they're all in these different tiers or these authorities or levels of power. Just like he says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There's multitudes of levels of these things. And they cannot do anything until they have been given legal right by God to do what they do. The Lord has given them a set of plans that each one, just like the police officers. The police officer, it says, if they break the speed limit, you can stop them. If they don't, you cannot stop them. They've been given a set of rules. And they have to abide by those rules, don't they? Yes, they do. Well, these demons have been given a set of rules by God. God is in control of everything. The Word of God says that all power is given to Him in heaven and earth. Everything is subject to the King. Did you know Satan couldn't take a breath? He couldn't wiggle an eyelash without God saying, okay. But God is in control of everything because He made everything. Just like that police officer. There's a city here. It's like your city. And there's authorities there. And they hire these men or women. And they put them out there. And they give them legal right when they've got that badge on to do certain things. And they can't go beyond that. And whenever they give them that authority and say, okay, you go out there. If this man goes into a store and he has a gun on his hip, you can arrest him because it's illegal to carry a gun in that store. It's not illegal for them to carry a rifle in their car. But they can't take that rifle and walk into the store unless it's a gun store and they're going to have it worked on. Then then it would be best if you had it in the case because if you flip your pistol out and you're flipping it around your finger walking in the store, you might have trouble with the police. You know, especially in today's world. Nobody knows what you seem to be going to do today. Especially whenever I was watching a little at CNN news, uh, we were looking at what's going on in Israel. We're now seeing the other night, it was almost unbelievable. The women that were having to empty their purses into the trash can. Did some of y'all see that? 
You can't even carry your perfume, your toothpaste, no lipstick, nothing. They were throwing it away in the trash cans. I can, some of the women were taking out their Chanel number five and putting, putting on here and here, you know, get the last shot of it. <laughs> I thought, well, why don't they just take a bath in it and just pour it all over them, you know. At least they're going to smell good for one flight. <laughs> have we lost our mind or have we lost our mind? There is a little teeny number of people in the world has caused this nightmare for the rest of us. That's why we're experiencing the things we're experiencing. But why do you think all these things are happening? Because of disobedience and sin. Is there any sin in America today? Oh, my lands, is there ever. There's sin everywhere on every port. Now, just think. If the people in America would serve the living God, and we'd go to church every Sunday, we'd worshiping during the week, we would put these Ten Commandments on the wall everywhere we work. Every place coming in would have a cross on the wall saying, "This in this place, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our King. We walk in obedience to His Word. It's a government, which used to have those kind of things, and some of them are still up there, but they're just engraved in granite. They don't mean nothing to none of them no more, or not to many of them. But if we really serve the living God from our leaders down, what kind of problem would we have in America? We wouldn't have this problem. These terrorists wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have none of this stuff. It's because of our disobedience as a nation that we suffer the consequences. So, I think it's time at least the church gets a hold of what belongs to us and we clean our act up and we walk holy and we walk in divine health. Because this is what's available. I have learned this. I have walked in this now the last 20-something years. And walking in divine health is absolutely an awesome privilege. Now, then, not only can you walk in divine health, but like this brother uh, that was talking to me earlier, he said, we're a little group and we want to start seeing God do the great and mighty things that we know he should do in the church. But said, as a rule, we have not seen those up till now. But he said, we want to do that. Well, first 40 years of my life, I didn't ever see God do none of those things either. Why? Because he's no respecter of persons, and I was not walking in faith. I didn't understand the principles, and I didn't know them, and I was just kind of shooting a shotgun blast. You know, it's like going hunting with a 12-gauge shotgun. You never shot a gun before. And the guy says, oh, it's no problem. Just point the gun in a general direction and pull the trigger and you'll be okay. So a cubby of quail jump up and fly that way and you pull over here and say, bang! That's a general direction, right? But they're over here and you're shooting over there. What do you think you're going to kill? Maybe a rabbit or a cow. But you ain't going to get no birds. You're... And I, one time there was a guy came to our farm, and he wanted to go quail hunting with a twenty-two. I said, are you a good shot? He said, I am a dead eye. And he was. That guy went down in our pasture with a twenty-two rifle, and when a quail would run up, he would say, bam, bam. And he could get about, every time he'd shoot, nearly a quail would fall. I ain't never seen nobody that good. That guy didn't shoot in the general direction. I mean, he was a shot. 
But I wonder how many hours and how many bullets he had practiced with to get that good. He spent a lot of time and a lot of money. Do you know that? You know why some people are really good in the Word? It's because they spend a lot of time with God in the Word. When you spend a lot of time with God in the Word, then you'll have the Word hidden in your heart. And when the Word's hidden in your heart, I want you to think about this Scripture. Here a while back I was reading, this is, this is one of my favorite Scriptures. Of course, I have many favorite Scriptures. But Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. I want to get my Bible. I can quote that to you. But I want to read it to you. Ephesians 3.20. I read this, and as I was reading this, the Lord revealed something to me that was beyond my wildest dreams. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Are you moving something back there, Dave? Nothing? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now we know God can do that, don't we? Now to him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And then look at the next part of that verse. According to the power that worketh in us. I had read that thousands of times. Quoted it, no telling how many thousands of times. And one day the Lord just opened my understanding. He said, I am the first part of that. You are the last part of that. He said, nothing's impossible with me. But the reason you don't see it is because you don't have the power in you. I said, Lord, you said, according to the power that works in me. He said, that's right. According to the power that works in you. So I said, Lord, but you're in me. I said, I have you in me. He said, the power that works in you is according to the word you have in you. He said, if you don't have but four or five verses of me in you, you have no power. He said, if you've got ten or twenty, you've got a little teeny corner of my power. I said, if you've got a couple of thousand verses hidden in your heart, he said, now we can get something done. Now we can get something done. I thought when he said that, when he revealed that to me, I thought, that's kind of like it was... When I first went to work in a Chevrolet garage years ago, when I was, in 1955, when I was just a young man, and I didn't have no tools. And I'd want to borrow a tool. I said, you know, I'm going to do this. I, I need a wrench to do this. And the foreman said, okay, you can use that out of my toolbox. And then finally one day he said, you know, if you're going to be a mechanic, you've got to have some tools. You can't use mine all your life. You're going to have to buy your own. 
I said, buy my own. He said, yeah. He said, let's get the guy from Proto down here. And, of course, I didn't realize that was the best, most expensive tools you could buy. And so we got the Proto man down there, and I bought my first set of tools. And I bought them in 1955, and I'm still using those tools. I've still got them today. I have, you know, they're still just as good as it was then. That's why they cost so much money. They are good tools. But there's no telling what all I've done with those tools. But I, when I bought that first set of tools, I started using those tools, and then I found out they, those tools were not enough. As my knowledge increased, I finally had to have more tools and more tools and more tools. And I went from a little toolbox about this big to one this big that I can barely see over, and then I got toolboxes everywhere, and I have no idea how many thousands of dollars worth of tools and equipment I've got to do all the things I've done in my life. But I think about those tools. Hey, if I don't have this tool hidden in my heart, I can do very little. In other words, whenever I walk up to you and I say, you, you got a problem? Yeah, I got a problem. I need to be healed or I need my finances met or whatever I need. I say, well, what scripture are we going to use to base your faith on? Well, I don't have one. You mean you don't have one? No, I don't have one. I said, okay, well, we're in trouble. God's understanding, first of all, He loves you a whole bunch. But He tells you to repent of your sins, and then we'll take a verse in here somewhere, and we'll stand on it, and we'll pray for your healing, and the Lord will heal you. But now, what do you think He expects you to do after that? He expects you to start adding to your toolbox, right? According... I mean, he can do exceeding above all we can think or imagine, but he does it according to the power that's in you. So if you only got two or three, four, five verses in you, how much power you got in you? Not very much. If you got a hundred verses in you, you got a little more. He'll talk to you a little with a hundred. I had a guy write me the other day and he said, Would you write down your favorite 100 verses for me and email them back to me? I thought, You have got to be kidding. With everything I got, if I were to if I were to quote a hundred verses to you today, the morrow they'd be different, because you know it all depends of where I'm at. You know what? I don't have a clue. I, I can have a hundred favorite ones today, but that hundred favorite ones will be changed tomorrow. You know because it all depends on what I'm doing. But according to the power that works in you, so. If, you, if this is the power that He can do is according to the power that works in us, if we've got a lot of that power in us, we've hidden hundreds or even thousands of Scriptures in our heart, what do you think we could do? The same thing Jesus did. See, when the devil came against Jesus, Jesus didn't hesitate to quote the Word to Him, did He? If you've got the Word hidden in your heart, and it's become a revelation to you that it literally means what it says, then you'll have a verse that can overcome anything the devil can throw at you. The devil tempts you with doing something wrong. If you're listening to God and doing what he says, as we're going to go on down and talk about what the enemy does and how he works here, you will be able to overcome the enemy in everything. Now then, when he tells us about this and about this Ephesians 3.20, we know that we need to hide the Word of God in our heart. I mean, we know that God also told us in, in uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, He said, study 
to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that can rightly divide the word of truth. So, did he say read the Bible? No, he said study it. Study it. Is there a difference between studying and reading? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can read a novel. But to study it and take it apart, I can read a book, but I can study that book. Like an engineering manual. I mean, I can think about when they give me the job to teach the systems on a a Lockheed Electra 4-engine turboprop airplane. I didn't read that book. I studied that book. I studied that thing over and over and over. And then I would read it and study it. Then I'd go out the airplane and look at what it was talking about and see if I could understand what the book said and what the airplane looked like. If it worked like this. I mean, I spent hours of studying those books. So when I stood up in front of a classroom before 25 or 30 pilots and engineers, I could tell you how this airplane worked and knew what I said was true. How would you like for... Me to be your instructor, and I say, go out there and you do this, put this, flip this switch here, do this, hit this button, the engine will start. And you say, okay, write all that down, what you just said. And I go out there and I hit this switch, do this, flip this switch, do that, and the tail falls off the airplane. (laughs) I believe he told you the wrong thing, don't you? Yeah. I believe he told you the wrong thing. So you wouldn't want to go back to a class with a guy teaching you that kind of instructions, would you? No, not hardly. Now then, that's why I take the owner's manual, and we discuss the owner's manual here, because I want you to see that your owner's manual has got to agree with what I say. If your owner's manual does not agree with what I say, then you don't want to believe what I'm saying. But if your owner's manual agrees with what I'm saying, then you've got a problem. We need to, need to agree upon it, because God doesn't change His Word. This is the only book in the world that's never been revised in 6,000 years. It was written, and it's that away. There's been a lot of people rewrite it in different translations, but the book still says the same thing. So, Paul's telling us about these beasts that we're fighting against. Now, these demons, these beasts are invisible, and we're wrestling with them. We're not, we're not just, it's not just a boxing match. The demons come to you... And due to sin, and and the problem is I've come to realize in the church today, we don't know what sin is. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever grumbled and complained about anything in your life? Every one of us. Not one single one of us has missed that. Uh, We all know that. Some of us don't grumble and complain near as much as others. But others can grumble and complain about everything. If it don't go just exactly the way I want it, man, I can blow up and lose my cool. Now, I know everybody can do that. You know, some people tell me, I ain't never lost my cool. I ain't never seen a man or a woman that hadn't lost their cool somewhere. Some may be a lot harder to drive to that point than others, but everybody has that point. And it can happen to you. I mean, it's just, it's, we're human. But if you can go to the point of grumbling and complaining... The Lord said in His Word in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, if that's a spiritual law, to do all things without grumbling and complaining, if you start grumbling and complaining about things, what do you think it's going to do? 
it's going to open the door to the devil to come to torment you. Because did Jesus say, do all things without grumbling and complaining? It's Philippians 2.14. That is a spiritual law. This book is spiritual law. And if he says, do everything without grumbling and complaining, and you grumble and complain, maybe the first time you grumble and complain, he may not send a demon. But he might. But if you grumble and complain tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, well, finally God's going to say, okay, that's it, demon, you can go get her. I told her not to do anything in grumbling and complaining, and now he or she's grumbling and complaining. We had a young woman come here one night on Tuesday night, and when she walked in the door, I'll never forget this, she walked in and her head's like this. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I have a crick in my neck. I said, this is terrible. I said, before I leave tonight, you got to pray for me. I said, okay, fix and start Bible study, go ahead and sit down. I said, but after Bible study, I'll pray for anybody. That night, I was teaching in the book of Philippians. And when I come to Philippians 2.14, I said, now right here, the Lord says, do all things without grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. I said, what do you all think he means when he says, do all things without murmuring and complaining? Well, he means all things. I said, so all means all, does it? Yes, I said, so. If you were out there today and things didn't go just exactly right at work and you grumbled and complained, I said, tomorrow they're going to be worse. And tomorrow you come in and you're grumbling and complaining because it's worse today than it was yesterday. And I said, eventually you're going to open the door to the devil. And he's going to come in and attack you. This young woman thought, good grief, that's me. I went to work the other day and something went wrong and I grumbled and complained. She said the next day it was worse and I grumbled and complained. And the next day it was worse and I grumbled and complained. And after about a week of this, she said, I, over the weekend I developed a tremendous crick in my neck and now I'm grumbling and complaining about that. And finally she comes to church on Tuesday night to Bible study and hears me teach this and she looks up and says, Lord, I am so sorry. I have called this upon myself. I repent for my grumbling and complaining. And Lord, I promise you, I will not do this again. And instantly the crick in her neck was gone and she was delivered and healed. At the end of the service, I said, any last questions? She jumped up and said, Mr. Scrivener, can I give a testimony this afternoon? I said, well, of course, come up here. She said, I got to tell this or I'm going to bust. I said, well, come on, what happened? I said, oh, by the way, what happened to your neck? She said, that's what I got to tell you. She said, while you were teaching on Philippians 2, when you were talking about no grumbling and complaining, how it brings these evil spirits, she said, that was me. And I knew that was me. And she said, that's all I've done the last week. And she said, that crick came up on me. And then I grumbled about this. And she said, I'm, I repented and told the Lord how sorry I was. And I will not grumble and complain again. And she said, when I said that instantly, my pain went away. My neck was straightened up and I was healed. Isn't that amazing? Who would ever think that grumbling and complaining can call a, bring a demon into your presence? But did the Lord say in Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmuring and complaining? If you don't know that, you might check me out to make sure that I didn't misquote that verse. But I can tell you, I didn't misquote that verse. Philippians 2.14, he didn't say do a few things without grumbling and complaining. He said do all things without grumbling and complaining. That's real easy when everything don't go just exactly your way to grumble and complain. You know that? It's so easy to fall into grumbling and complaining. In other words, you're getting ready to go on vacation tomorrow. 
you know, you're going to go to, uh, who knows, uh, Indiana, or you're going to go out to the mountains, or you're going to go somewhere, and in the morning you wake up and you go out and get in your car, and it's broke. It won't start. The battery's down. And you got it loaded, and you're ready to go. And the kids are in and everything. And you reach up and start and say, and it's dead. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. No, they don't only nobody that'll do that. But the Lord says, do all things with thanksgiving. How hard is it to do that? Praise the Lord. Lord, we don't know what this happened like this far, but we praise you. We know that you're in control. We know that somewhere, if we'd have started right now, we might have had a wreck right down the road down here. And we know you're protecting our life. So, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you. Now, we know that if it is your will for us to go to the mountains, that we're going to be able to get the car started in a few minutes. We're going to get a battery. We're going to go take it off. We're going to get another car or something. We're going to run down the store. We're going to replace the battery or whatever. And then we're going to put it back on there. And, Lord, we know if it's your will, we're going to praise you and thank you. And we're going to get in this car and we're going to go on vacation. And you go get you another battery, praising him the whole time. You put it on there. And man, you get out there in that car and you start down the road and you say, Lord, thank you, praise you. And you get about 10 miles down the road and there was a massive car wreck that happened a few minutes ago right when you, where you would have been if you hadn't had the battery trouble. Then it's real easy to say, thank you, Lord, that we weren't here during this, right? But you know, just like when you're driving down the road and you have a flat, you know, if you have a flat and you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you get out and you kick the car and say, doggone it, if anything can go wrong, it goes wrong when I'm in a hurry. Do we do that? Yes, we do. But see, you've got to realize God's in control. Stop that grumbling and complaining. Say, Lord, thank you. We'll get out and say, well, well Lord, thank you. I've got a flat tire. And I know you're going to help me fix it. I know there's a reason for this. Is it hard to do that? Yes, it's hard to do that. But when you do it God's way, you don't have to worry about calling these demons to your house. You know? If you want to walk in divine health, you've got to learn how to do that. No grumbling and complaining. Now then, we are told what to do about these demons. Now let's go to verse 13, next verse. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, the devil, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now think about this. I don't know how many times in my life I've heard people make this statement. Well, I'm going to get up this morning I'm going to put on my armor. I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation. And they start putting on these items. Let me tell you, you've totally missed it. I totally missed it. You know, I, I, I read this scripture I don't know how many times. And I thought, and I even heard people teach this in class like this. 
And then one day, the Lord revealed to me, after thousands of hours of studying His Word, He said, Son, that's not what I'm saying there. That's not what I'm saying at all, the way you're interpreting it. I'm telling you, put on my whole armor, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and after having done all, to stand. Stand there for having your Lord's girt about with truth. He said, if you don't have my word hidden in your heart, you don't have the truth. He said, you don't get up in the morning and put on truth. He said, you live truth. You hide the word in your heart. My word is truth. If you don't have the word, he said, you don't have the truth. So he said, you've got to have the word hidden in my heart. And said, therefore, you don't have to get up in the morning and put on truth. You've got it with you 24-7. It's there. You're, you have truth on you. Then he says, well, after you've girded your loins about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. He said, you've got to know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ because of what I've done for you on the cross. So when you get up in the morning or when you go to bed at night, you've got to know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That I cleaned you up. I made you my daughter. And I made you righteous because of the blood of my son. So when I look through his blood, I see you. And I see you with that breastplate of righteousness on. When the enemy looks at you, if you know by faith... You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Then the enemy can't touch you. He can't touch you. Somebody says, oh, the word of God says, and the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Wouldn't it be nice if we just had some righteous men in the church? Well, hey, we're all supposed to be righteous in the church. Because the same king that cleaned me up cleaned you up. The same king that said... By what He did on the cross, and by making you and me a new creature, He made us the righteousness of God in Christ. Second Corinthians 5. That's where you find it. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. So He has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. So by knowing you're the righteousness of God in Christ... Knowing that it was Jesus that did that for you, you should be able to pray the prayer of faith for anyone because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now then, do you see yourself? And this is, this is something where the devil has really deceived us. I walk up to a young man. Here's a good looking young man right up here on the front row. Are you the righteousness of God in Christ? Yes. Amen. Now there's a young man that knows who he is. You know, the average young man his age... All, when you ask them that, all, immediately the devil will say, Oh, you're a sinner. Oh, you think about how you talked back to mother last week. Or you think about what you did to a friend yesterday. You're not the righteous. You're not righteous. So they're condemned by the devil. And so you ask them if they're righteous, and immediately the devil floods their mind and heart with every little sin they've ever committed. And they say, No, I'm not righteous. Well, see, that's a lie from the pit of hell. When you do what this young man did, I mean, there was no stuttering. He knows he's the righteousness of God in Christ. How does he know that? Obviously, he's read that in the Word and he believes that. Is that right, son? Jesus said, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You just believe the king meant what he said, right? Amen. Praise God. 
Now, young men like that will be able to get some wonderful things done. He knows who he is in Christ. Well, see, when he knows who he is in Christ, he's got the breastplate of righteousness on. And as long as he knows that, he's got it on 24-7. Now, then, if you have the Word of God hidden in your heart, you have the truth. You have your loins girded about with truth because you got the Word in there. Then he says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, when do you have those gospel people get up and say, well, I'm putting on my gospel shoes of peace. No, 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 no. That's a physical picture of a spiritual principle that Paul's tried to reveal to us. When you get up in the morning, you wake up in the morning, and you get out of bed and you look over to your husband and you say, I love you. Oh, do I love you. Or your wife, you do the same thing. I'm so grateful God brought me to you. And you walk in that kind of peace. You got them shoes of peace on? You got them on? Sure, you got them on. What if you get up this morning and you look over at your wife or your husband and you say, Oh, honey, I sure do love you this morning. She said, Don't talk to me. <laughs> she got the gospel shoes of peace on this morning? No, she does not. She ain't walking in peace. You see how easy it is to take those shoes off? Or you two girls here, two young girls up here on the front. I don't know whether they're sisters or friends or whatever they are. But if I'm sure they're at least friends. They're come together from another state. So if you go over and you've had a bad day today and your other friend says something to you, and you snap her head off, are you walking with the shoes of peace on? No, you're not, are you? See how easy it is to take them shoes of peace off? When you do that, you know what you do? You open the door to a demon, and they'll come get you. But that's why Paul's telling us, you walk in peace at all times. Now then, we walk in peace at all times. And he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. What is the shield of faith in its entirety? It is the Word of God. How does faith come? By hearing the Word. If faith comes by hearing the Word, then the shield of faith, if you're surrounded, if you've got these giant shields of faith around you that's above you, beside you, all the way down to the ground with the Word of God, if you've got those words, those Scriptures hidden in your heart, you've got the shield of faith in front of you. With the shield of faith there, it says here, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So you got that big shield on you and the devil says, I'm just going to get her this morning anyway. He pulls that shield, that fiery dart back and turns it loose and bam, hits that shield and it bounces off. And it don't touch you. He said, well, let me go over here at this side. Maybe I can find a little crack over here. And all of a sudden, a devil's putting a thought into her mind. Somebody comes and said, did you go so and so? Did you go to town last night? And she did. But she said, no, I didn't go last night. What did you just do? You just stepped out of truth. You told a lie. And there's a crack come right there in that shield. That devil says, oh, I can get through that one. And he pulls that arrow back and he goes right through that and he goes right into her physical body. Now you can come down with a pain. You just told a lie and all of a sudden, oh, man, what, what is that? Man, did I have a pain in my arm there. Wow, mm, my elbow's hurting me. You just had a fiery dart from the devil just penetrated you. Because you told a lie. You stepped out of truth. That's 
how you can stand against the wiles of the devil. You have to do everything the Lord says here. If you don't, you cannot walk in divine health without pain. That's why you have to be so careful. <coughs> in fact, there was a young woman. <coughs> she used to come here to this church. <coughs> she came here one day and she needed to be healed. Needed a tremendous healing. She got it. But in the process, after she got her healing, she told me one day, she said, Mr. Scrivener, I so want to hear God's voice. I said, well, just serve him. Study his word. Love him. You'll hear it. He'll talk to you one day. She came to me a few months later, and she said, I got to hear God's voice this week. I said, well, you don't seem too happy about it. She said, I'm not. I said, what happened? She said, you know this young man I've been going with? I said, yes, I know you've been going with a young man. She says, uh, <clears throat> the other night we were stopped out on the lake on a beautiful spot and we were kind of looking at the moon and things and she said he had his arm around me and we were just talking and said then he kissed me really passionately two or three times and and she said I'm sitting there and I'm thinking wow I wonder what it would be like if I was married to him and I could go to bed with him and she's thinking that and said, the Lord, call my name. And he said, Susan, stop it. You're sinning. <laughs> she said, that's not exactly what I want to hear God say. <laughs> of course, Susan's a fictitious name. But she said, I told my fiancé that I need to get over on this side of the car. We need to talk a while <laughs> over here. But see, she wanted to hear God's voice. Did he know what was in her heart? Yes, he did. And did he like what she was doing? No, he did not. And he told her, Susan, stop it. You're sinning. Isn't that amazing? Boy, she stopped it. I mean, she stopped it. Now then, most of the time, well, I didn't go there. Now, the thing about it is, God said, if you think it, if you lust, you're guilty of committing the act of adultery. So you see how easy it is to sin? See how difficult it is to walk holy before God? See how easy, how hard it is to keep all this armor on all the time? But if we do, we can come against the devil. It says here, then he says, we take the helmet of salvation. Now the helmet of salvation, we got that when we got saved. When you accepted Jesus by faith as your Lord and Savior, you put on the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation is supposed to protect your brain from the fiery darts of the devil. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now then. This has been the major problem right here that Paul is telling us what to do to overcome the enemy as children of God. But many people that I know today are like I was. I can remember when I was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon in a Baptist church when if you'd have asked me to quote my favorite verse, that's what I could have done. Quoted my favorite verse. But if you'd have said, okay, 
Then tell me what your next four favorite ones are. I would have been in some kind of serious trouble. To quote five verses, I was in trouble. Well, he says here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, this sword of the Spirit will cut the devil asunder. So, if you reach in and get your sword and you pull it out and all you have is a handle or maybe a little bitty short knife about a half inch long, you are no threat to the devil. You know that? But if you reach over there when the devil comes against you and starts tempting you with things, and you reach over there and you pull your sword out, and out of your mouth comes that double-edged sword, and you got one scripture after another. It's like pulling out in the physical world a gleaming handle with that giant four, five, or six-foot gleaming double-edged sword. And when you start slinging that thing at the devil, guess what he does? He goes away. Whoa, he says, this girl or this guy has got the word hidden in her heart. What did Jesus come against the devil with when he came to him in the wilderness? The word. Satan, it is written. Well, if that's the way the devil overcome him, if that's the way Jesus overcome the devil, that's the same way you're going to have to overcome him. We're going to have to use the examples of our king. And you want to know how to do something, you're going to have to do it God's way. And he came and gave us, us, us an example of everything to tell us and to show us how these principles work. Now, he's telling us here. But how many times did I misunderstand this? It's, it's like the Word of God. He has made this so clear. But yet he put it in kind of like riddles or parables. And if you don't spend time with him, you can read it and never get the understanding. How many of you have ever heard people say, well, I, I, I read the Bible, but I don't understand nothing I read in the Bible. You ever heard anybody say that? Uh, I've said that myself. You know, And there's still things in the Bible I read that I don't understand. Why is it I don't understand them? Let me tell you, give you an example. I could take one of those engineering manuals on Lockheed Electra that I used to teach on an airplane. And when I read the systems... Just for instance, on the engine, maybe just on a propeller system of that thing. When I read that section on all the different intricate parts that I had to teach, it was just on that big turboprop a propeller. I didn't get it the first time through. <clears throat> I didn't get it the second time through. But I read and looked and took it apart and studied it and went and looked at it and checked it and read it and studied it. And finally, I began to get it. And finally one day, in fact, I remember the reason I used that system. One day I was teaching the negative torque system on a 501D13 Allison turboprop engine with a big 13-foot, 6-inch four-blade prop on it. And I was drawing little signs on the board and was explaining what the governors are and how they work and everything else. And when I got through, I said, is there any questions about this system, this negative torque system, and how it works on this propeller? And one of the guys, an old captain, about 55 years old. I mean, if you're a captain, you're 55, you're old. Because when you get to be 60, you're out. They throw you out. That's the peak age you can fly as a commercial pilot in the airlines. 60, you won't ever see a pilot in the front over 60. At 60, they're out. I don't care how good a health you are, what you know, or nothing else. At 60, it's over. You can't fly commercially no more for the airline. This old pilot, old captain, 55 years old, held up his hand. He said, son, I've been through this class about four or five times on this airplane. And that's the first time I ever understood how that crazy thing works. 
Why? Because I made it so simple he could get it. But now he'd been through it and somebody else had taught it to him. They might have understood it and they might not have even understood it themselves. You know there's people teaching things out there that don't know how it works themselves? <clears throat> Boy, everybody knew that's the truth, didn't you? So if you want to know how something works, you really take it apart. You really take it apart. In fact, I remember when I went to Spartan School of Aeronautics when they was teaching power plant electricity. I had been had so much electrical experience in the military that when I went to that class and the guy got up there to start teaching this electrical system, well, I, 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 he started stuttering. I thought, well, this poor boy, he don't know what he's talking about right here. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he, the further he went, the deeper in he got. And, of course, there wasn't nobody in the class that really understood it either. So, But anyway, I finally told him, I said, sir, I said, I... I I'm a student in this class, but I said, I have a massive education in electricity from the military. I said, I understand how that system works. Would you mind if I kind of help you a little bit here? And, and maybe, I, I, said, I, I said, I don't want to intimidate you or do anything wrong, but I said, I understand this system extremely well. Could I help you with it? He said, of course. He handed me the stuff and said, here. So I got up on the board and started drawing at the end of that hour. When it was over and we dismissed the class, he came down and he said, man, he said, I understand it now. He said, I didn't understand it. I said, I know you didn't understand it. He said, you made that so simple. Well, I said, sir, I have studied those kind of things in the military and they had some of the best electrical schools I ever seen. And so they taught me and I listened and I studied and I knew how those things worked. So by knowing how they worked, I could explain it to them. Now then, he understood it now, but he didn't understand it at first. Here he was trying to teach a course he had not prepared for in detail enough. You know what's wrong with us in the Word? We don't prepare enough. We don't read enough. We don't get in the Word. We don't have the answers. We're trying to talk about something we've never experienced. Now then, the Word of God, the only way God's going to reveal these kind of things to you, since He is a faith God, you have to get in the Word you have to pray and spend time with Him and walk in obedience to His Word and snuggle up to Him. When you do, I mean, when you get up in the morning, if that's your time, you snuggle up with God. He loves it. You get in His Word, you pray, you talk to Him. He's listening. And He loves that time. Now, I don't care how you do it, whether it's in the morning, the night, or all during the day. Because He says, as we go through the day... We're to worship Him and praise Him and to put Him first in everything we do. Does He not? Yes, He does. So, if you'll do that, then as you'll study the Word, He will begin to reveal to you when you misinterpret the Word, after you've misinterpreted maybe a few hundred times like I did, one day you'll finally say, Son, that's not what I'm saying. Listen to me. This is what I'm saying. Read it closely. And when He begins to reveal to this to you, just like the Scripture says, no Scriptures of private interpretation, but only as revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit does not open your understanding to the Word, you're just reading. You're just reading. But when He reveals it to you, now you've got it. And now He holds you responsible for it. He holds you accountable for this Word. I'll tell you a little story right quick about a gentleman. He's been listening to some of my stuff, and he come up and told me, he said, I got to say one thing, 
about what your teaching has done to me. It's made a better husband out of me. I said, well, good. Why did it make a better husband out of you? He said, when you said that, you know, men love your wives or your prayers will be hindered. He said, I don't know how many times I'd read that. But you said, you know what that means? That means if you don't love your wife, God ain't going to answer your prayer. He said, I thought, what? Is that what that means? He said, I guess I better straighten my act up and become a good husband because I sure want my prayers answered. <laughs> so he said, I had never thought about it like that. But he said, I geared even that day for us. I've definitely become a better husband to my wife. I loved her a lot more and I showed it and everything because he said, I thought, Husbands, if you don't love your wives, don't do what I tell you to do. Your prayers will be hindered, which means I ain't going to answer your prayer. They said, I sure wanted my prayers answered, so it sure has made a better husband out of me. Well, every one of us need to know that as husbands, don't we? Yep, every husband needs to know that. Because, you know, obviously there's something wrong in the church. Here we are, this most powerful entity in the world, and I was a member of one of them, and most of my life I never saw a direct answer to prayer, never saw God do anything, and I thought, why? I didn't know. Didn't know what belonged to me. Didn't know how to make it work. And so one day I decided to read the owner's manual. When you begin to read the owner's manual, you find out what turns the king on. You turn out what he likes. And when you do what he likes, then he'll answer your prayer. Yeah, that's what's fun, isn't it? That's when it's fun, I guarantee you. Okay, we're ready to start over. Second series here. Looks like everybody's about seated. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you again for the second session this evening. Lord, as we continue on to talk about you and your word, we want to praise you and thank you. We ask you to continue to give us wonderful revelation and wisdom from your mighty word. Now bless us as we continue with the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, we know, we see there that Paul was telling us very clearly who our enemy was. And he's an invisible being called the devil and his demons. He cannot touch you until you sin. But when you give the beast legal right, he can definitely attack you. And that's why we need to know that if we will be obedient to the Word and do what the Word says, we won't have to be concerned about the devil. Now then, after this, Paul is going to tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he tells us what weapons to use against the devil. Now then, to be able to come against him, he says clearly there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, for the weapons... The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't that amazing? The weapons that we fight with today, we fight with weapons that we can see. 
as a rule. When somebody does something you don't like, like right now, we've got all kinds of things going on in the world that people are doing things that people don't like. And what are the people fighting the battle with in Israel and Iran and Iraq and all that right now? Are they fighting it with spiritual weapons or are they fighting it with physical weapons? I mean, they're fighting it with physical weapons. They're killing flesh and blood. They're destroying property. They're tearing up everything. You know what happens in a situation like that? Think about this. Somebody shoots a bomb into somebody else's house and he kills them. Well, the man down the street happened to be the uncle of this guy and his, his children here or whatever or relatives got killed. Now all of a sudden that man's got a grudge against these people over here. And the minute he goes into unforgiveness towards these people, he's opened the door to the devil to him. And the battle continues. And it rages. <clears throat> the spiritual world is what controls the physical world. In other words, spiritually, if we sin, we open the door to the devils of hell that cause these things to happen, that causes the physical wars to happen, which causes physical death. Now then, if we don't go there with the spiritual problems... If whenever somebody says something to you or does something to you that you don't like, instead of fighting back with fists or knives or guns or bombs, you just say, hey, I forgive you, and turn around and walk off. Is that hard to do? Mm, boy, I can tell the way you're smiling. Now, that is definitely hard to do, isn't it? It is. With what God tells us to do. That's what he said, wasn't it? So why can't we do it? Because we don't believe Him. We're more afraid of man than we are God. Since God's invisible, we don't think He will do what He says He will do. But we believe man will do what He says He will do. But we don't believe God will do what He said. So when God told us what to do, He says, we'll pull down these strongholds, we'll cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Just like the young lady was telling me a while ago, was up here, she said, several things happened today, and I caught myself grumbling and complaining. Now, I know none of us would do that as Christians, would we? No, no, we would never grumble and complain. Only when things don't go exactly the way we want them to go. That's when we grumble and complain. It's so easy to grumble and complain. But the Lord tells us not to do it. So if he tells us we've got to capture that thought, we've got to bring that thought into captivity to the Word of God. And say, no, I'm not going there. I don't care what happened. I'm not grumbling. I'm not complaining. I look at this young man up here looking at me, and I think, you know, the Lord says in his word for you children, you young people, obey your parents in all things, didn't he? You know why? And he said that with a promise, so that your life will be long on the earth. You know, I can think of cases after I read that, those are spiritual laws that brings physical things into existence. I can think of 
two boys that I knew. <clears throat> the older one now is probably 70 years old. He was totally an obedient son at home. He obeyed mother and dad. He respected them and everything. But he had a brother who was a couple of years younger than him that died at 40. Just a massive heart attack at 40 and died. But the difference between those two boys, the younger one, he never obeyed mom and dad. He didn't respect them. Didn't show them no respect. He could care less. Called the old man. I said the old man. You know, he just, you know, instead of saying dad, talking to him, I said, ah, the old man. He don't know what he's talking about. Had no respect for his dad whatsoever. But yet at 40, he had a massive heart attack and died. But the other man respected his dad and his mom, showed him respect, and here he is, 70 years old, and he's still in good health. Brothers, raised in the same house. One of them lived to be 40 and had a massive heart attack and died. Somebody, nobody understands these principles. But yet the Word of God, there it was, said, Children, obey your parents and respect them so that your life may be long on the earth. Did he say that? Yes, he did. That's even in the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and your fathers, that your days may be long on the earth. So people don't understand that's a spiritual law that God set down. And if you don't capture that thought, and don't bring that thought into captivity, and make it obedient to the commands of Christ, what you'll do when you disobey mother and father, say, oh, well, the old man or the old woman, instead of calling them mom and dad and respecting them, you're not realizing you're opening the door to this invisible realm that's coming in because you're breaking God's rule and they're slowly eating away your life and you will die prematurely. And you'll never understand why one boy in a home died at 40 and other than lived to be 70. Or he's still alive and still healthy. <clears throat> what makes a difference? Well, let me tell you. When I started seeing what's going on on this earth, I thought, God, I don't understand this system. I don't understand what's happening here. So I want to know why people are sick and why some people live a little while and why some people live a long time. Just like we had a woman used to go to this church all the time. Great woman of God. She had one of her relatives <clears throat> that a young woman had a baby. She was a Baptist. Had a baby girl. And when she called her and said, I need you to come pray for my baby. She said, what do you mean, a baby? She said, yeah, I've had a baby. She said, I didn't know you got married. She said, I didn't. I'm not married. She said, what do you mean having a baby? She said, well, I've been, I've been living with a guy. She said, don't you know that sin? Well, what's the big deal? She said, well, what's wrong with your baby? Well, she said, they've got a problem with her heart, her kidney, her liver, whatever it was, and said, she's not going to live. The doctor said, probably not going to live but a day or two. And so she said, I'll tell you, there ain't no use me come praying for you. You've been living with that boy. You've opened the door wide open to the devil. She said, you've got to repent first. And you've got to move out and make God a promise. You won't never go back to bed with that man again, ever, unless you marry him. She said, well, what if I don't? She said, then the baby's going to die. She said, what if I do? She said, then I'll pray for your baby and God will heal him. So the girl repented and asked the Lord to forgive her. And she moved out. And this woman that goes went to our church for several years, she went over to that hospital and laid her hands on that glass cage where that little baby was in under that incubator and uh, prayed and rebuked that devil. 
And that little girl was healed in an hour. And today, she'd been to the church. She's about two years old now. Last time I saw her, she was nearly two. Every time her mother does bring her now, she's just a beautiful little girl. Just running and playing. But yet, two years ago, she was laying there in a hospital, incurable because of her mother's sin. She had opened the door to the devil wide open. And if that mother had not had a cousin or a relative or whatever that went to this church, had learned these principles, that knew that to get her to repent of that sin, I guarantee that little girl would have died. The devil. He does exactly what he has legal right to do. And he's given legal right through sin. Now then, we find that Jesus has given us the keys of the kingdom. This is a real eye-opener. You know, when you realize this, He has given us everything we need to walk in a daily walk with Him and to walk in health, divine health and power. We don't lack anything as children of God if we read the Word and know what it says. Now let's look in Matthew chapter uh, 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. He says, And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound on earth, or bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Just think, it gives the king great pleasure to give to you and me, his children, the keys of the kingdom. Now, what are you going to do with those keys? Well, most of us are like I was most of my life. I didn't know I had any keys. <coughs> I think about, you know, the keys we have to have today. I mean, you know, you've got to have keys for your car. You know, you've got to have keys for your house. You've got to have keys for your toolbox. I mean, you've got to have a key for everything you have. You've got a key. Well, let me tell you. We have to lock up things for a reason. But I think about the number of keys I have to carry. It's absolutely, I mean, I got keys to the ministry center, I got keys to offices, I got keys to the house, <clears throat> I got keys to cars and pickups and trucks and everything else. Unbelievable the number of keys I have to keep up with. Tractor, you name it, I've got them. <clears throat> one day I pulled out one of my key rings, that, that big around, probably had 20 keys on it. I pulled it out trying to find one to go through it, and a little girl walked, she said, Sir, you must really be rich. And I said, well, honey, what do you mean by that? She said, you must have lots of houses. <laughs> she said, all that mess and keys. You know, I guess I really stopped and thought for a minute after she left. I thought, Lord, I guess I really am very rich. You know, I mean, I have a car, several of them. Cars, pickups, trucks, tractors, house. Or houses, ministry center, you know, you name it, you know, God has blessed us with it. You know, I mean, my lands of mercy. And when people like us today that live in America, should we ever grumble about anything? No, but we do. We do. So, the Lord has given us the keys of the kingdom, and we spend so much time watching television or listening to the radio or whatever, everything in the world, <clears throat> if you were like I was when I was a teenager, somebody said something the other day about Elvis Presley. 
I said, oh yeah, I knew who he was. Now, a lot of the stars and rock stars and everything else in this day and age, uh, since Elvis Presley, I don't know who none of them were. I don't listen to that stuff. But when I was in the mid-50s, Elvis was big. You know, he was a, a singer, and I used to drive down the road and listen to him sing, and I learned every song. I mean, I could sing those songs right along with him, and I think, how much time I wasted learning all those songs. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. You know, all this nonsense. <laughs> what, did, what good is that? Nothing. It didn't do me no good whatsoever. Just think how many scriptures I could have memorized while I was singing, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> but I think about the time I wasted. But finally, I began to get a hold of it, and I stopped wasting that time and started making my time productive. And so, as I did, of course, later I began to realize as I read the Word that He's given you and me the keys of the kingdom. I mean, I have the keys and you have the keys. If you read the Word and you learn what they are, you have the keys to salvation. Just think, that key will open a door to an entirely new world for anybody that will listen. You know what kind of a key that is when you get the key to heaven? That you can open the door and become a child of God, Randy? Wow, what a key! You would be glad we found that one. That's the first one we're glad we found. But after you find out that you got the key to salvation, and you can be a born-again Christian, then when you begin to find out that He's bore the curse for you. A key to the kingdom is in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for you. Isn't that amazing that these blessings that was given to Abraham is given to us, the Gentiles, that we can receive all those promises by faith? Somebody said, well, I'm under a curse. I listen to your teachings about the curses and the blessings, and I know that must be my problem. I'm under a curse. And I'm going to tell you that's true. You are under a curse. <clears throat> but when you get a hold of the fact... That Christ redeemed you from that curse. That's one of the keys of the kingdom. When He redeemed you from the curse, if He redeemed you from that curse, then that means He paid for it. If He paid for it, why do you and me need to pay for it? We don't, do we? No. We do not have to pay for something that Jesus has already paid for. It's done. So what do you do to make it come to work for you? You receive by faith what the king has already done for you. Now then, if you had, let's say for instance, you were born out of wedlock. I mean, you are cursed and ten generations in the future and your family is cursed. Well, how many people do you know today is born out of wedlock? Man, there's tons of them all over the place. Some of you here today may be one of them. i got good news for you. You can receive the redemption from the curse by what Jesus did for you on the cross, and then you can rebuke every devil of hell that goes with that curse and command them to leave, and they have to leave, and you can get set free. I mean, I think about this little woman that came to a healing school. Oh, it's been a couple of years ago. <clears throat> and whenever they came up for prayer, the daddy wasn't there the day he was working, but she brought had four daughters, and she said, three of my daughters have this gluten problem, and I have the gluten problem. So we, I said, I don't know what that is. She said, well, we can't eat wheat. 
I said, so what happens if you eat wheat? She said, we start bleeding internally. She said, I eat one bite of wheat toast, and sometimes it'll take two months for me to heal up before I stop passing blood. I thought, wow. I said, that's a demon from hell. I said, and you don't have to have it. I said, y'all are under a curse. And if you've got it, and three of the four daughters have got it, y'all are under a generational curse. I said, it's a herd of demons. And I said, Jesus has already paid the price for that on the cross 2,000 years ago, so you don't have to have it. One of those little girls looked up at me and said, you mean Jesus already paid the price for this, so I don't have to have it? I said, yes, ma'am, young lady, he paid it for you. All you've got to do is receive it by faith. She said, what does that mean? I said, that means if you believe God, you can go eat anything you want to eat. She said, Mother, did you hear what he said? Jesus paid the price for this. If Jesus paid the price, it's done, Mama. I'm healed. The, the faith of a child. If we, could, if we as adults could have faith like them little children. You just tell them Jesus done it. Hey, he's big brother. That's all I need to know. If Jesus, praise God. If Jesus, let's go get a box of Triscuits, Mama. I want some wheat. Isn't that amazing? Them three little girls got a hold of that. They left there saying, you mean we can eat anything we want to? I said, only if you believe Jesus. I said, you girls believe Jesus? We believe Jesus. If Jesus said it, that's good enough for us. I mean, if we could all get like them little children. Well, that wasn't none of them over 10 or 12 years old. They went right on downstairs. And the three of them, the older ones, were sick. The younger one was not. I believe it was the youngest one that was not sick. They went away from that day, and Mama, I'm telling her, said, Mama, you got to believe too. Oh, she said, oh, okay, I believe. She wasn't near as solid in her faith them three little ones was. They went by the grocery store. They bought a bunch of stuff. They wanted them little girls started picking out on that stuff. You know, they were eating that stuff, and of course they got home. Mama, she ain't eating none of it. <laughs> she goes to bed that night, and in the middle of the night, she has this wonderful dream from this lovely critter. You fool, you have killed your children. Now, who do you think that was? We know that who was our old buddy, the devil. She gets up in fear. It's like, what have I done? She goes downstairs and all four of them sitting there already up to eat and picking out on cereal, sweet, everything in the world. Then, Mama, isn't it wonderful that Jesus has already redeemed us from the curse and we're set free? She said, I looked over to those three, four children of mine. Three of them had that problem. They're all eating it. I thought, you know... Surely I can have faith like they do. Because she said, Lord, forgive me for my unbelief. Lord, I believe your word. And she went and got her a piece of wheat toast and ate it. And a month later or two months later, whatever it was, all of them came to a healing school. Mama, all the children, and the daddy. And they said they've been eating anything they want since that day and ain't none of them had a problem. What does faith do when you get a hold of it? It works. It sets you free. Wow. See, if you're under any kind of a curse, and everybody is that's not broken the curse, all you got to do is say, well, devil, you might have been messing with me here and here and here and here because, I, yeah, I have been under a curse. But now I've learned today that Jesus bore that curse for me, and I am redeemed from that curse. So it makes no difference what kind of curse it was. Word curse, generational curse, inheritance curse, founding father's curse. It makes no difference what kind of curse it was. He redeemed you from every one of those curses. When he redeemed you from the curse, Galatians 3, 13, 14 says it. So if Jesus has already paid the price, then why in the world do you and him both have to pay the price? If he paid it, let him have it. And praise him and thank him for doing it for you. You do not have to be under that curse. But you have to receive that by faith. 
When you receive that by faith, then when you you know those curses have been broken, then the one thing you've got to do to get them get through is you've got to demand that those demons that went with that curse, those invisible beings, that they leave your flesh and that they go back to the pit of hell and they don't attack you no more. I mean, Jesus... Several times in the Word, He'd command these demons to come out of somebody. And He said, now, enter them no more. He'd command them to not come back. When you cast out a demon, you better make sure you command that beast to not come back. Because if you don't command that beast to never come back to you, if you just cast him out, he may be back tormenting you by evening. Maybe by tomorrow or maybe a week or two later. Who knows how long it'll be. But I can assure you he will come back. And when he comes back for a counterattack, if you're not ready with the Word of God to combat that beast when he comes back, when they come back for a counterattack, usually if you're not ready and prepared, that's when they will kill you. They will really take you out quickly. But you really got to know who you are as a son or daughter of God. See, the Word of God says in Matthew, he says, whenever you cast a demon out, he goes walking through arid, dry places looking for another house. And if he don't find one, he comes back to your house. And he looks at your house and he says, Oh, he's not filled that house. He's not got in the Word. He's not studying. The Holy Spirit's not full up in there. So I'm going to go back into the house, which is my house, the one I left. And I'm going to take those seven wicked friends that I found while I was out there walking around they didn't have a house either, so he whistles for them and said, You boys, come on. Here's a house. You can come in and live with me. And he said, Jesus said, The second state of that person is worse than the first. Don't want to go there, do you? No, you don't want to go there. So when you, when you have a demon cast out, or you cast him out yourself, you want to make sure you get in the Word of God. And you begin to fill yourself with the Word. I mean, read it, study it, be speaking it. It is in your heart, coming out your mouth. Because when that demon starts approaching you, if all he hears is the Word of God coming out of your mouth, guess what he's going to do? He's going somewhere else. He's not going to come back to your house. But if oh, he comes back to your house and he looks in the window and you're in there watching a soap opera, he said, oh, good, I got him right where I want him. And he'll come right in your house and he'll re-enter you. Because if all you've been watching on the radio or television is the junk of the world, I mean, he knows you're in trouble. And he's glad because he'll move right in. That's why that when I learned these principles, I technically, 20 years ago, turned off the television set. I don't watch anything except Christian television unless it's a little CNN news. I may rarely, I don't have the cable or anything where I can watch even CNN, but if I happen to be in a hotel or something somewhere where they have one of those things, like we were a couple nights this week, I did watch a few minutes of CNN of what's going on over there in Israel. And just like I figured, it's getting hotter all the time, it looks like. You know, there are more and more rockets and bombs and everything going off. So... It's just amazing. But turn off the television. Turn off the secular radio. Quit listening to that stuff. Stop reading your secular magazines. You know, stop reading the newspaper. You know, the stuff that's in there does not glorify God. 
You know, I turned off all that stuff. If you got time, like you come to somebody's house and he's having trouble, and you say, have you read the Word of God? He said, well, I don't have time to read the Word. I'm too busy. So you go over Sunday after church to pray for him, and you walk in, he stopped and bought both the Dallas and Fort Worth newspaper. And he's got them laying all over the place, and he's got two television sets on, so he can watch two football games at the same time. And in between, he's reading these two newspapers. And he ain't got time to read the Word of God? Forget it. You might as well leave. He ain't going to get that guy healed. You know, he's not doing nothing according to the Word of God. You know, Jesus says you've got to put me first. You know, if you're not putting Jesus first, you're not going to see the king do very much for you. And he doesn't share himself with nobody. If you really want to see Jesus do wonderful things for you, you're going to have to put him first. I mean, in everything. You can't just go to church on Sunday. You can't come to a healing school on Saturday and then go home and do what you want to do. And don't ever talk about God. Don't talk about Him on the way home. Don't talk about Him tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day. And then wait till next Sunday and say, Oh, by the way, it's Sunday morning. We've got to go to church again today. That's the first time you thought about God all week long. You ain't going to see Him do much for you if that's where you live. If you want to see Him do things for you, you've got to put Him first. And if you do, wow! What you can see Him do. Because He said He has given us the keys to the kingdom. How are we going to find out what these keys are? Read the Word. Study the Word. That's how we're going to find out what they are. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told us this twice. He told us in Matthew 16 and then in Matthew 18. 18, He says, and this is a real easy verse to remember, Matthew 18, 18. For verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Told it to us again. And then verse 19 is one of the most powerful verses. I have used this verse. Now, a lot of people don't believe God means what He says right here. I've had PhDs tell me that I misinterpret this verse. But I don't know how to misinterpret this verse. I mean, I'm not the most super educated guy in the world, but I can read. You know? And since I can read... And the Lord says in Matthew eighteen nineteen again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree. Well, when I'm at home, i got one right here, and i got another one right here. So, this, and this, last time I counted, that's two. Is that right? I mean, am I right so far? That if two of you shall agree. Now, all i got to do is get her in agreement with me. You know, now if we're in disagreement, we've got a problem. But if I can get us to agree on earth, and last time I checked, me and her both standing on the earth. You know, so we're meeting this criteria. And as touching anything that they shall ask, what was my limitations? Not anything. Anything we shall ask. Well, that got to be a misprint, that next line. It shall be done. For them of my Father which is in heaven. I don't know about you, but how do you misinterpret that? I mean, I just believe what the king says. Don't you? So when we have a need, this morning I prayed while we was, we was getting ready there in the bathroom. And I prayed over something. Cheryl said, I agree. Now see, I mean, hey, we've learned that prayer of agreement. I mean, we use that baby all the time. 
I mean, good grief, if Jesus, our brother, in fact, that verse right there, that's the very verse that I used to pray over Philip, the young boy that works for us now, which is 22 years old, 11 years ago, when that little boy was 11 years old and his body had been covered with warts and scars since he was three. The doctors had burned them off the back of one of his hands, left big old scars on his hands, and the warts come right back in the scars. I went over to her house, got their sins, repented up, built her faith. Just like Philip was up in my office last night, or standing in my office, telling me, he said, you know, <clears throat> that day you come to our house 11 years ago, when you got through teaching me the Word of God, he said, I believe Jesus could do anything. Well, now, what kind of faith is Jesus looking for? That's the kind he's looking for. Only he was just an 11-year-old boy. You know, 11 years old. But his body being covered with warts and scars. The warts since he was three, but the scars for the last couple, two, three years, whatever. He'd had them burned off several years ago. And they couldn't get them off. And I used that verse right there. Jesus said, if two of you shall agree. Well, in the house, it was me and Philip, his mother and dad, and his little sister. His little sister kind of little. But still, mom and dad and me, that's three adults. And Philip, that's four. He was 11. But he didn't say how old we had to be. He just said, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done for you. Is that an awesome verse? Awesome verse? What can you do, son, with that verse? Woo! Now the boy's got it. This boy's got it. I'm telling you, he's going to be an awesome man of God. He's got it. That's what it takes. When you get to where you believe, Philip and I and his mom and dad, I told him, I said, right now we're going to kneel here on the floor before a righteous and holy God. And we did in a circle. We knelt down on the floor and I raised my hand and I said, Father, on behalf of that verse, I'm asking you to take every wart and scar off of Philip Anthony Wren's body and I want to thank you, Lord, it's done. Now that's not a very long prayer, is it? No. I didn't have to get down and beg, beg and plead and say, oh God, Oh, God, if it be your will, will you please hear this prayer? No, I didn't do that. I just told him what I wanted. Agreed? I said, now, do you all agree? They said, yes. She said, why do we have to agree? I said, because this is a law book. And you have to do everything exactly the way the king said it in his law book. This is a spiritual law book. Now, what if I'd have used that verse and I'd have prayed and nobody said a single word? We just got up and walked out. It wouldn't have worked, would it? Why? Because I didn't do it the way it's written. I didn't, no, no agreement. I can just see the devil and I'd step right in and say, oh yeah, God. Thurman's got faith. I know he's got faith. I see him operate. But he said, he used the prayer of agreement and I didn't hear nobody in that room agree with him. But whenever I said, do you all agree? They all said, yes, we agree. I said, then say, I agree with that prayer in Jesus' name. They all did. When everybody agreed, then I started to walk out. And Mama said, well, when are they going to come off? I said, no, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. But he says, they will. I said, now I'm going to guarantee you on the word of the living God that in a few days, Philip will not have a wart or a scar on his body. Somebody said, now I have a real problem with you guaranteeing God's word. Now, wait a minute. If Jesus said in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, 
In James 1, 6 and 7, the king says, When you ask, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. Because if you waver at my promises, he said, you're double-minded and you're unstable in all of your ways. And let not that person think they shall receive anything from the Lord. Now, if I can't guarantee God will do what he guaranteed he'll do, then I didn't believe. I didn't have no faith, did I? Well, if you, oh God, please Lord, will you do this or will you do that? Now Lord, please, if it's your will, forget it. That's not faith. If you pray like that, that's the way I did the first few years of my life when I, you know, I didn't see God do nothing. Oh God, if it's your will, will you please heal sister so and so? No. Just like my lovely bride. Whenever I met her, I didn't know she'd had an incurable disease for many years. She couldn't get healed. She came to a healing school. I told her sin. She came up, repented of her sins. After she repented of her sins, I rebuked that devil, commanded that beast leave, and I said, now thank you, Lord, for healing her. It's done. In Jesus' name. That 30-year incurable disease was gone, just like that. She is healed. I know what his will is. His will, he said, he come to heal us. You know, he come to set us free. He said, get rid of your stupid sins. And then pray in faith and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Boy, when you learn that, you get rid of your sin. Just like that older gentleman that uh, was talking to us, telling about, he said, this stuff that you're teaching has made me a better husband. Why? Well, when a husband learns if he don't love his wife, he ain't going to get his prayers answered. Hey, it'd make, it'd make a, if, if you fear God, then you know he's the only one who can answer your prayer. Even if, even if some men, there's some men out there that really don't love their wives. And it's a shame that they don't. But if they realize that they're men of God and they ever want to pray a prayer of faith, they're going to have to love that woman. If they don't love her and don't treat her like a lady, God's going to say, oh, okay, I'm the one that answers your prayer. If you ain't going to treat that daughter of mine like a lady, then I ain't going to answer your prayer. But God, please, he said, nope, that's it. Face closed. I ain't answering it. You go over and get right with your wife. You love her. Tell her you're sorry. And then I'll answer your prayer. Until you do that, forget it. It's over. In fact, I remember when Cheryl and I, when the Lord brought us together, uh, here a little over a couple of years ago, we've been married just a little over two years now, when he brought her to me, she had lots of little things wrong with her. I mean, she's also kind of like Sharon was. She's a basket case. You know, lots of little things wrong. Well, ever she'd come to me and ask me to pray over her for this, and I'd pray God instantly healed her, just like that. I mean, just one after the other. I mean, I mean, it's awesome. And I mean, she, she could have anything wrong with her, and she could come in and I mean, she could have a pimple on her cheek, and she'd say, "Honey, you got to pray over this. Not pray over it; it'd be gone just a little while." It's amazing. And some of the things, and then finally one day, she got so spoiled. She came in one day, she had a little thing on her face or on her chin. Yeah, I was on her neck. That's right. I had a little deal on her neck. She said, you got to pray. Look at this little thing. I said, okay, no problem. I said, it's just an unclean spirit. I'll rebuke it and drive it away. And so I did. And the next day she came in, she said, honey, there's still another one here. I said, okay. So I prayed over that. And the next day she came in and she says, there's another one. Have you sinned? I said, no. I, she said, well, why are these things not coming off? I said, because these things are evil spirits in you 
that's come in over your life due to different sins you've committed. I said, everybody does this. And I said, as we cast them out, they're going away. But I said, it may take a little while to get all of them out of you. But I said, we're going to have to stay in faith together, and I guarantee they will go away. And I said, beside that, God is showing you some things take a little longer than others because He so spoiled you. He's showing you now that some things take time, and everything's not going to be instantaneous. And she said, well, Lord, I am small, but I love being small, Daddy. She loves being small. I said, well, I love being small, too. But I said, we will get them all out of you. In fact, I don't know how long we prayed for it, but it took a while. But those little things come up on her chest, and we kept rebuking them and driving them away. And we finally got the last one, and they're gone. She hadn't had no more in a long time. But how many of you would like to be spoiled like that with God, that every time you answer a prayer, pray a prayer, and God answer it right then? Isn't that wonderful? Now then, if, you're, if you've got a mate, you know, well, that you're going to have to love each other like that. And if you love each other like that, He will answer your prayers just like that. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love to do that? See, you know what? That young man, when Philip went back to school, after all his warts and scars went away. In other words, it only took us three weeks for every wart on Philip's body to disappear, and then only one more week for all of his scars to go away. And today, Philip don't have a wart or a scar nowhere. I told him, I said, now son, when you go back to school this year, what are you going to tell the kids when they see you? And, you, and you've, all your life, all your life of school, from three years old to 11, you've been covered with warts and scars. What are you going to tell them? He said, Mr. Scrivener, I'm going to tell them Jesus took them off. I said, you know what they're going to do? You're going to laugh at you. He said, I don't care. I know how they went away. And then he went back to school and just like I say, the kids that walk up to him and say, ain't you that wart kid? Aren't you that kid that had all them warts? That was me. Well, how come you, you going to have surgery? No. Well, how are they gone? He said, Jesus took them. Oh, come on, you know, that's nonsense. Just like I told him. And I said, them kids ain't going to believe Jesus took them off of you. You know, in school today, even the church kids don't believe God does anything. Isn't that amazing that kids in school, just like a lady in a Baptist church wrote me back the other day. She said, Mr. Scrivener, this is the most awesome thing. She said, I've been listening to your stuff. And she said, I'm the nursery keeper in our church. Said the other day they brought a little boy in here. And he was, I forget enough, four years old or whatever it was. And he was walking on crutches. And Daddy brought him. I said, what's wrong with him? He said, oh, he fell down, twisted his ankle. And doctor said he's going to have to walk on his crutches about three weeks. She said, okay. So I brought him in there and said, I got him right in the middle of all these kids. And I said, kids, Jesus said, and she began to quote the Word of God and these promises she had learned. And she said, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to do a miracle over him. And he says, when we pray, we must believe it's done. So I said, Jesus can't lie. This little four-year-old boy said, ooh. So she said, we're going to pray. So all the kids gathered around him. I read all them scriptures I'd learned, listening to your tapes, and said, several of them, and said, we laid hands on them. We prayed the prayer of faith him. I told him, I said, you know, praise God. You don't need them crutches no more. Just get up and go play. So he said, okay. So he said, he got up, and he ran and played for an hour. And said, when Daddy come to get him, he run into the door. And Daddy walked. He said, where's your crutches? He said, oh, Daddy, I don't need them no more. They all prayed for me, and Jesus healed me. He said, son, you better get your crutches. We might need them. Are we a faithless bunch in the church? 
We serve the king of the universe. And he has so much trouble doing anything among us. And here he's given us the keys of the kingdom. The keys to healing and the keys to miracles and the keys to everything is given to us when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And most of us never know what that means. Never know what the keys to the kingdom are. Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you lose on earth, anything, it's yours. Isn't that good news? Wow. Now then, how do you make these things come to pass? Where is your miracle? It's in your mouth. That's right, Sharon. Sharon's learned that. She knows her miracle's in her mouth. I mean, whatever you say in faith, whatever you speak, period, where does it come from? Your heart. Now then, think about this. I used to not understand this. Matthew said clearly, if you have any darkness in your heart, how dark is that darkness? Wow. Under pressure, you find out what you're made out of. Under pressure, you find out what's in your heart. And some of us don't like it. But it's in there. We need to get rid of it. We need to purge and cleanse our heart. So it makes no difference what kind of pressure we're under. Still, only the Word of God comes out of our heart. Comes out of our mouth. You know, when you get in a tight place or something happens to you, you're nearly killed in a car wreck. You know, I was driving down the road one day with a guy, and we nearly got killed. I mean, we could have got killed. I mean, we were driving 60 miles an hour, and a guy at an intersection, he almost hit us. I'm telling you, it was awesome. This was many years ago. I was just a young, 20-something-year-old young man when this happened. But this friend that was with me, Whenever we nearly got hit, man, and he was a Christian boy. He went to church with me. And out of his mouth, he says, G-D-S-O-B, you know. And I thought, God, what if we hadn't been hit and killed? What if when that, what if that guy had said that and that guy had hit us and that was the last words he said? How would you like to come home to stand before God and the last word you said was G-D-S-O-B? Wow. That's not me. I don't want to do that. Do you? No. I don't want to do that. So, you speak your miracle into existence with your mouth. Romans 10, 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. And it's in your heart. The word of faith that we preach said, If you will speak with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you will believe in your heart, the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the word in the King James in Romans 10, 9 is saved. But in the original Greek text, this is the word. Sozo. S-O-Z-O. Many people have never heard the word sozo in church. But the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, means these five things. Saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. So if your miracle is in your mouth and you know this, and that is the scripture that set me free.
in Romans 10, 8 and 9. That was my favorite verse to lead somebody to Jesus. By knowing that, I could quote that to someone or read that to someone and say, if you're willing to believe in your heart that the Father raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that, you will be saved. Because the Word says so. But I didn't know for years until one day I was reading that again after computers came out and I highlighted the word saved in Romans 10.9. And it pulled in, in my computer program, the word sozo. And when it did, the dictionary pulled in at the bottom all those meanings. I thought, what? That word sozo means those five things? I thought, wow. Then that means that, what does the word say? It is near me. It's in my mouth and in my heart. That if I will say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and I'll believe in my heart the Father raised Him from the dead, I'll be sozoed. That means I'll be not only saved, that means I'll be healed, I'll be made whole, I'll be delivered from the devil, and I'll be preserved in life. I said, wait a minute, that couldn't possibly be true. So I said, Lord, how many times is the word sozo used in the Greek New Testament? So I've done on my computer something that's so easy, I clicked up and said, tell me how many times that word used and where it's found. And immediately it says used 120 times in 103 different verses. So I go all the way back to the book of Matthew to start reading every one of those. 120 different places. Took me hours. Did the Lord say to them that diligently seek me, I will reveal you? Myself, yes, he did. So for I diligently read all those scriptures all the way through the book of Revelation. They're all over the place. And at the end of that study that night, I said, Lord, I am more confused than I've ever been. I said, I don't understand where I am. But if where I am is where I think I am, then that word sozo means everything. And so if I'm confessing with my mouth and believing my heart that you're my Lord, then technically speaking, I should be healed and delivered and preserved and made whole. I said, not only am I safe, but I said, Lord, if that's true, then why in the world have I been sick so many times since I was 11 when I accepted you as my Lord and Savior? And that's another one of those times when he spoke to me audibly. He said, Son, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Now, Lord... I have to do everything by faith. He said, yes, son. In Hebrews eleven six, I told you without faith, it's impossible to please me. Impossible. So he said, if you don't receive me as your healer by faith, you'll be sick. I said, Lord, I see it. Tonight I repent for my sins of unbelief. And I fell on my knees and raised my hands right there in my bedroom. I said, Lord, I am receiving you not only as my Savior, but I am receiving you as my healer, my deliverer, and my preserver, and for making me whole. And from this day forth, I will never be sick again. In Jesus' name. Now then, when you get saved, what's the first thing everybody tells you to do? Go tell somebody you're saved. Is that right? Because so said you must confess with your mouth to seal your salvation. You do that on a day-by-day basis. You tell people, I'm saved. Somebody said, how do you know you're saved? Because it's written in the Word. You mean you just believe a stupid old book? Oh, yeah, I believe that book. I'm saved because it's written in the Bible. No, that old book was written by men. It don't mean what it says. Yes, it does. 
It means exactly what it says. But the devil will do everything he can to steal your salvation from you. But when you get a hold of the promises of God, it doesn't matter who twists your arm or who tells you what. You know your king is real and you know you're saved and you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. There ain't, ain't nobody going to talk you out of that. Somebody said, well, did you ever see Jesus? No. You ever seen an angel? No. You ever heard his voice? No. And how do you know this? Because it's written in the Bible. That's all I need. It's written in the Word of God. Now, some of you may have seen angels. Some of you may have seen Jesus. Some of you may have heard his voice. But that don't change anything in the Word. If Jesus said in the Word, it's a done deal. So I said that night, Lord, I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm delivered, and this day forth, I ain't never going to be sick again. Now, the next day, you've got to walk into your workplace and tell everybody, praise God, by faith, last night I received Jesus as my healer, and I ain't never going to be sick again. I guarantee it. You know what they'll do to you? They'll laugh at you. Oh, Thurman, come on. Give me a break. You're a religious fanatic now. You're always talking about this Jesus stuff. Why don't you get real and get in the world with us? Let me tell you the world where sickness and disease is. You don't want over there in that world, son. You want to stay in Jesus' world. You want to keep yourself clean and pure from sin. And if you do, he'll answer your prayer. And everything you come and ask him for that you've gained knowledge from in that word, he will answer your prayer. And it's awesome. Awesome. Isn't it, Sharon? Praise God, it's awesome. Yes. Well, you got to do it Jesus' way. So anyway, they laugh at you. They can say anything they want to. But every once in a while, you got to tell everybody, Praise God, I received Jesus as my healer, and I ain't never going to be sick again. And guess what? You ain't never sick again. He is my strength. Now, why is it you run into one man that's 60 years old and he can't do nothing? He's in a wheelchair. He's old. You know, he knows he's old. He's not going to make it till he's 62. Oh, I hope I live to be 62 so I can draw my Social Security. You people talk like that. You know that? And he may or may not make it because he's certainly not walking in faith. But when you know that the king renews your youth like the eagles, hey, I'm not. And he said he will satisfy me with long life. What's long life? Well, for some people, that's 40. Especially some of these girls. Oh, my lands, I'm not telling you how old I am. I am 40 or I'm 48. Oh, I'm so old. No, you're not. You're not old unless you think you're old. You know? I mean, just think. You can be. 60, 70, 80, or 90, and still be a ball of fire for Jesus. Age don't have nothing to do with it. I mean, the Lord says He will renew our youth like the eagles. You know, I mean, I've run into a many a man that's my age that's old. I mean, my son told me the other day, he said, Dad, two men come out to the gym last, or to that day when I was talking to him. He said, they come out there to work out and said, Dad, those two men are 68 years old. And he said, Dad, them guys are old. They think they're old. They know they're old. And he said, they're old. And he said, I think you're nearly 68. Your next birthday, you're going to be 68. And he said, man, you're like a teenager compared to them guys. Hey. Hey. It ain't no problem. All you got to do is believe Jesus. You know, you can just have so much fun. You know, you can do, I mean, just 
I, I think I think about what we can do in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, nothing shall be impossible with you. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, praise God, what can you do then? Anything, right? You believe that, son? Amen. You hide those words in your heart, you walk holy before God, and He'll use you mightily in your life. You know that? Amen. He'll do it. We serve an awesome God. And I love to see him answer prayers and do things for people. Don't you? Yes, I do. Now, he's given us all these keys. He's uh, all this stuff. And our, our miracle is in our mouth. We've got to learn to speak it. Because you speak things into being with your mouth. And our contact with Satan and his demons should be with the full knowledge that Jesus defeated him for us. And we find that in this next verse of Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Now, I want you to find out and realize that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth to defeat the enemy. And when he came and defeated him, he confirmed in his word that he did defeat the devil and he's given you and me full power over him. Now then, as long as you walk in obedience to God's word, as a son or daughter of God... You have power over the devil, and he has to be subject to you. But now then, if you walk in any kind of sin, just like that police officer we talked about earlier, if you're driving down the road 60 miles an hour in a car that's current with everything, and you're not breaking any laws, that police officer will not even look at you, will he? He'll just go right on by you. He won't even pay attention to you. But if you're driving down the road and you're driving 60 and he happens to look over at your windshield and both your license plate and your inspection ticker is expired for about three months, what's he going to do? He's going to stop you. Sure he is. He's going to give you a ticket. And then when he pulls over and stops you because your insurance is, I mean, because your license plate and inspection ticker is expired, he also finds out that your insurance expired three months ago. Now, you're really in trouble now. Yep. 800 bucks, huh? Woo! $800 worth of fines. Now, you could have bought insurance and had your car inspected and everything else a whole lot cheaper than that. So why in the world be so dumb? Well, that's the same way it is with the Word of God. We could have read the Word and done what Jesus said and we wouldn't have to have been sick. But we don't know these things. So we wind up paying the devil, a severe penalty. You know, that beast comes to us just like these examples. And, of course, Sharon's one of the, the hers, and, of course, my Cheryl, too. Thirty years, these girls suffered with problems incurable, as far as the doctors were concerned. I mean, incurable. Suffer with pain and everything. and Go to doctors and do everything, but they can't help you very much. They help you a little, but you have pain and suffering for 20 or 30 years. And then, just like both of them, when they come to Jesus and repented of their sins, and the prayer of faith was prayed over, both of them was healed. Isn't that amazing? I love it. I don't like to be sick and afflicted. Do you? No. But now, how come they had to suffer? Both of them had to suffer all those years. Because they didn't read the owner's manual good enough. They read it. But didn't read it detailed enough, did you? No, no. I mean, I know my Cheryl read the Word of God. I know Sharon read the Word of God. Both of them was in church. 
I mean, they were doing all they knew to do, but they still lacked that knowledge that they needed. They had to have somebody that had really, like Ty and I did yesterday, we had to have somebody had the knowledge of that panel to go over there and tell us, guys, the reason you can't hear the intercom is because this knob is turned down too low. Oh, I said, oh my gosh, we taxi out. He said, didn't it make you feel stupid? I said, well, no, <laughs> this is the way life is. I, can't. I said, there's too many dogs switches on all the battles for me to know them all. But we're learning them. We won't do that no more, will we, Ty? We got that one. Praise God. We know where them two knobs are. We know what they do. We ain't going to have to go back and ask him a second time why our headsets don't work. We're going to check the knobs next time. But that's, that's something. We have to get with somebody that knows this. You know, but it's the Word of God the same way. I mean, you might read. I mean, we've read the book. We've been to school. But we've read the Bible. But Cheryl... And Sharon didn't know the answers. Although they had read it, they didn't. They had not got the revelation. But God had given that revelation to me. And when He had given it to me, I shared it with them. They both believed. When they both believed and both repented of their sins, we prayed their prayer of faith, and God moved in it exactly what He promised to do, and He healed both of them. And both of them have loved it ever since. And now then, they both can pray the prayer of faith for other people. I mean, they have prayed, both of those ladies have prayed many a prayer for many a person and seen God do awesome, wonderful things. Because they know now how their principles work. You know, you need to get rid of your sin. That's the first thing they ask. You've got to get rid of sin. When you get rid of sin, then you've got to believe God. You've got to come to Him on half of His work. And then we've got to pray in faith. And I can pray the prayer of faith for you. And they do, and bam, God shows up and does wonderful things. Because He's given those girls the keys to the kingdom. And they're learning what those keys are. And they're using those keys. They're spiritual keys. It's a wonderful place to live. Now then, in Colossians 2.14, he says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now that was the law, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And verse 15 says, And having spoiled or disarmed, principalities and powers, that's Satan and his demons, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, the cross. If these demons have been Satan himself and all of his powers have been disarmed, then how much power does he have left? None unless you give it to him. When you sin, you give it to him. If you don't sin, you don't give it to him. All power and authority, just like Randy, with his seizures since 1983 until last year. It was last August, wasn't it, Randy? Last August at a healing school from 83 to last August, which was, I guess, uh, yeah, 2005. That's a long time, wasn't it? That's 22 years that you've been having those things, Right? Wow, with medication, he'd been having seizures up to three a week. How would you like to live there? Nobody knows how tormenting that is except him. He knows. He'd been there and done it. And he also knows that once he repented of his sins, of which were many, like most of us, when he repented, was he repented of those sins, how many of those sins had God washed and cleaned? 
Every one of them made him white. That day when he repented of all of his sins, God put a white robe on him and he's clean as if he had never sinned a day in his life. What a Jesus we serve, huh? Now then, since the demons have no legal right to him, we can cast them out. We command them to leave and go to the pit of hell and never come back. And all of them fled. Did we see them leave? No. But we found out they left right quick because he stopped having seizures right there. When the demons left, you know, people say, I don't like to think that I have demons. Well, I didn't like to think I had them either. But let me tell you, when you sin, you get them. That's just the way life is. What Paul said we wrestle against? Demons. Principality, power, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. These are these trained army of beasts that's put out there to attack you when they get legal right to you. And there's, there's demons out there for unforgiveness. And it's a cancer demon. Nearly every demon, every time somebody gets unforgiveness, you get a cancer demon. Now then there's many other kinds of demons. When you sin, you get different kinds of demons. Every demon's not a cancer demon. Some of them are just pain demons. I mean, they'll just put pain on you. I mean, some of them will put, uh, I mean, there's every kind you can imagine. And some of them will put gross on your body. Tumors. You name it. They'll attack you. In fact, just like this uh, book of wisdom in the Catholic Bible. I bought me a Catholic Bible here a while back. Or a man gave me a Catholic Bible. I was going to buy one. And a Catholic man gave me one. I told him I was going to have to go to Ireland to speak and teach to a bunch of Catholics, and I had never read the Catholic Bible. So I said, i got to go buy one. He said, man, I'll buy you one. And he was a Catholic. He'd been here many times. He went out and got me one and gave it to me and uh, also brought me up several little books about the Catholic Bible and what they believe and all that stuff. But the reason this man did this is because his life, since he's been coming here with his wife, and they come real often, that he said, my life totally been trans- tra- transformed, totally changed. He said, we've learned how to walk in faith. In fact, it wasn't too long ago that him and his wife come in and they both had a long face. And I said, what's wrong? And he's a graduate of Harvard, has an uh, a MDA from Harvard. So he's no dummy. You don't get a master's degree from Harvard, right? And be a dummy. Well, he's no dummy. He owns his own company, but he's down, having all kinds of problems. And they were really, I said, well, first thing you all need to do, you need to get out of that state of unbelief and repent for your sins and then we need to pray and rebuke all these demons that are coming in and stopping up your business because of your unbelief then we ask the Lord to move powerfully among you and agree in faith it's done and so he said you're bold as a lion I said well Jesus told us what to do so I prayed the prayer of faith for them it wasn't but about two weeks he got an awesome deal and they were so pleased with it. And he came in and said, wow. I said, oh, this is just the beginning. I mean, what can you have? Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart. And since we prayed that prayer, him and his company has been blessed so. He is traveling. He is on fire. And I mean, God is blessing them financially more than he ever has. Well, they've been tithers. They've been obedient. They just didn't know how to pray the prayer of faith and get things done. Do you know you got an angel? You can charge him. Send him out to do something. I got tickled. We was talking the other day, and, and uh, we were talking about angels protecting us and everything. And Ty told his angel, said, Angel, you better take good care of me on this flight. If you don't, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> Did you know the Word of God says we will judge our angels? Isn't that something? 
We will, know you not, that we will judge angels. Hey, so you got an angel. Angel, you better take good care of me. Better watch over me and protect me. You see where I'm coming from? The Lord has given, this is another one of the keys of the kingdom. He's given you angels and given them charge over you. And he's defeated the devil for you. And then, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says, Give thanks unto the Father, which has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Whose kingdom did we used to be a member of? The devil. That kind of hard on you to think that a beautiful young woman like you used to be a child of the devil, right? But you know you was, right? You was. Every one of us was. Every one of us had to realize, yes, we were children of the devil. But one day when we got saved, it says right there, he translated us out of that mess and brought us into the kingdom of God and made us fit to be partakers of the kingdom of God, right? Woo! When you realize you're a child of God, now then, if we would start acting like children of God, walking holy before God, and, and standing on these mighty promises, we can become partakers of the divine nature of God. We don't have to be sick. You know, I have proven that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Word of God is true. You don't have to wake up sick tomorrow. I mean, when the devil does attack you and every once in a while, he'll just come by to put you to the test. When he does, rebuke him. Let's just say something simple. You wake up this morning, you got a cough. Wake up. <laughs> couple, five minutes. <laughs> Mom, i got a cough. That's a wrong confession. Nope. If you're not strong enough to get it done yourself, you say, Mom or Dad. If Dad's at home, you need him. He needs to be a spiritual authority, though. He needs to be walking obedience to the Word. If he's not, you're in trouble. But if Dad's a spiritual authority, he's supposed to be, say, Dad, that devil's trying to put a call for me. I'm not receiving it. Come in here and kick this devil out of me in the name of Jesus. He comes in, lays hands and says, I'll rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. Get out. It is written. Now then, son, you won't cough no more. Maybe 15, 20 minutes later, a little cough. And the daddy jumps up and says, Devil, did you hear what I said? I told you to leave my son alone. In the name of Jesus. Jesus told me to drive out devils, lay hands on them. So walk over, lay your hands on your shoulders and say, Out, you beast of hell, in the name of Jesus. Now get out, in Jesus' name. I mean, be bold and forceful with the word. Don't play games with the devil. Somebody be like this one lady that I was casting a demon out of her son. He had put a, a, a tumor in his brain and his optic nerves had been pinched off and he was totally blind, 14, 15 years old. I went to that house or to that place of business on a Sunday afternoon during a snowstorm in January. I taught that woman and her child and another woman the Word of God for about four hours. I said, now then, I'm going to pray for this boy. I built her faith way up there. In fact, that woman, I got tickled at her about two hours into the teaching. She said, I wish I had a Bible like yours. I said, what do you mean? She said, you got all these places underlined, you know, highlighted. She said, I go to church all the time, but nobody ever talks about these verses you talk about. I said, well, ma'am, they're in the Bible. She said, they're in mine too. I said, no problem. When I get through here today, this Bible is your Bible. I'll give it to you. So I said, I can do another one. 
That's no problem. I know these scriptures. So anyway, I prayed for that little boy. I started praying for him. I'd after about I'd t- been teaching four hours, and then about 30, 40 minutes into it, I'm rebuking the devil. I got my hands on his head. I'm hollering at the devil, "Come out of him, you beast! In the name of Jesus!" And I said, "Now, son, open your eyes, devil. You can see." I wait a minute. He said, "Sir, I can't see a thing." I'd go back at it. I curse you, devil of hell. I command you to come out of him. After about 45 minutes, I said, Phew. I said, I sure am getting a little bit tired. I guess I'm going to take a couple minute break. She said, I'll pray for him. I said, okay, go ahead. So she goes up to her son, puts her hand on her little son's head and said, Mr. Devil, will you please come out of my son? I said, that's okay, ma'am. You can sit down. That ain't going to get nothing done, is he, Randy? That devil, he's a beast. He don't listen to that kind of talk, does he? You get bold in the name of Jesus. You don't let Mr. Devil, will you please come out of my son. But that's all she knew. So I rebuked the devil for another 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And I finally said, that's it. You may not be able to see now, but I guarantee you're going to be able to see because Jesus' word don't never fail. It don't never return to him void. I said, go home. Now, his daddy wasn't even a believer. About six weeks later, I walked into the house that afternoon. Amanda said, oh, daddy. This lady, she told me who she was, said she called today and said her son could see this morning when he woke up. I jumped up and screamed and said, praise God. Thank you, Lord. I said, honey, aren't you excited? She said, no, daddy. I take these praise reports for you every day. It's just a normal routine thing around here. I thought, wow. Eyes were open. Blind eyes were open. And she's not even excited about this. I thought, wow. We can get calloused even to God's miracles. You know it? We ought to always be ready to jump up and scream and praise Him when He does something. I don't care if it's the first one you've seen or the ten millionth one you've seen. Don't ever let it get to where it's just normal way of life. I mean... Last Tuesday night, right here, we had a man in a wheelchair that his daughter brought him. And he hadn't walked in months. And they had given up on him. The therapist even had given up on him. And the daughter brought him and said, after Bible study, I want you to pray for him. I did. And she said, Okay, Daddy. He's paid for you. It's done. Get out of that wheelchair and walk. Were you here? Yeah, you were here. Okay. And I took one hand and somebody took the other hand and we helped him get up. And I said, okay, sir, walk. And he did, didn't he? He did. Praise God. I forget who. Was it Rosemary? Rosemary. The next day at work. I said, praise God, Rosemary, we saw an awesome miracle last night. She said, what? I didn't come last night? Who was it, honey? Somebody. Who was it that we told that to? I forget who. Oh, yeah, Rosemary cried. But somebody that said they were coming to Bible study that night, and for some reason they got tied up and they didn't come. Oh, it was Ty. That's who it was. It was you. He was the one who said, what? You saw a guy walk out of a wheelchair and I got tied up business and I couldn't come. Then I started to come and didn't come and there you used to have to see a man walk out of a wheelchair. Yeah, that's right. It was tied. 
Yeah. I said, oh, my, of course, she didn't come either. She's doing something else. I told her. She just cried. No, she was here. That's right. Rosemary was here. That's right. She was the one. And when she saw him get out of the chair and start walking, she started crying. Wow. He said, is God awesome, Thurman? I said, yes, he's awesome. He's more than awesome. I mean, after all, who do we serve? The King of kings and Lord of lords. And just think, if we would believe him, there is no limitation to what we would get to see God do. Isn't that amazing? Our unbelief. It's not changed much, has it? Way back when the children of Israel come out and they saw him do all the miracles and then they come over there to the promised land. He said, now guys, go in there and take it and I'll go with you. They said, we better go and have a look at this. They went over and looked and said, man, there's giants in that land. Them big boys in there. We can't handle them. We're grasshoppers in their sight. Why, no matter what we look like, who's with us? God. With God with us, we may be a grasshopper, but we're a big one, right? We're a big grasshopper. With God with us, nothing is impossible with us. We have no fear of the enemy. So them boys should have went in there and got it, but only such a tiny, well, in fact, just two. Two out of the whole bunch said, Lord, we can do this. The rest of them said it had been better if we had died in the wilderness. God was so upset with them boys, he said, okay, if you're out of your own mouths, will I judge you? You said it had been better if you died in the wilderness. He said, into the wilderness you will go. And every one of you that's 20 years of age or over, you will die in the wilderness. And they did. Every one of them. And he says, none of you will enter my rest because of your evil hearts of unbelief of my promises. That's scary too, isn't it? None of you are going to enter my rest because of your evil hearts of unbelief. Well, we get nothing from God because of our evil hearts of unbelief. He's made the promises. He's told us what He will do when it comes to healing. He's defeated the devil for us completely. And now because of what Christ did for us, Satan has no right to rule over us. Yet most Christians have more faith in Satan's authority and power than they do in God's. Isn't that a shame? Oh, don't talk about the devil. He might do something to me. Hey, the beast is defeated. He's the enemy and he's been stripped of all of his power and armament and all power and armament has been given to you. Now see, people say, oh God, please, when they find out it's the devil that's making them sick. Oh God, please, will you do something to the devil? And you know what he's telling you? No, I've already done it. I've defeated the beast 2,000 years ago. Now I gave you power over him and I told you to exercise your power over him. You repent of your sins and you start quoting my word and that devil will go away. That was a revelation to me when I got a hold of that a few years ago. You devil fear in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave me. In fact, when my daughter was 16 years old, I cast a devil of fear out of her. I didn't know until a healing school years later how that devil got in. But when she was three years old, and Tim was, yeah, three, and Tim was five. A great big snake ran up under a deal I picked up, and it ran right toward him kids. And Amanda just went wild, screaming. And, of course, I took that bar and stuck in that snake and reached down, got him by the tail, jerked him out of my mother, popped his head and threw him way off out there in the pasture. I killed him. And when I threw that snake, Amanda ran to me and climbed me like a tree. And when she stopped as a little three-year-old girl, she was sitting around my neck. 
That's how scared she was. But what she had done from the fear, she had opened her spirit up and a demon of hell, a fear, had entered her right there. And from that day forth until she was 15 years old, she would not stay away from mother and daddy at night. I mean, she wouldn't stay in nobody else's home. She was afraid of everything. She wouldn't even go outside and feed her cat after darkness. I went out with her. She had a spirit of fear. And then when she was 15 years old, she was laying up in her bed one night. I went up there to see what was wrong with her. And she was crying her eyes out. And I said, honey, what's wrong with you? She said, daddy, I have this fear. I believe if I died tonight, I'd go to hell to be with the devil. I said, honey, when you were six years old, you made Jesus Lord of your life. Did you mean that, yes or no? She said, yes, daddy, but I have this fear. The Lord spoke to me just as clear. He said, son, go over there and cast that spirit out of her in my name. I mean, I went over and sat down on the side of the bed and grabbed her by the shoulders. And I said, you devil of hell, you spirit of fear, come out of her. You go to the pit of hell and don't you ever enter again. I said, now, Lord, fill her with the spirit of love, joy, and peace. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. Amanda went from crying to rejoicing, praising the Lord. And we rejoiced and praised God for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Then she went to bed that night. It was already 12.30. Got up the next morning, went early, and I was sitting down to breakfast table about 7 o'clock. She's on the way to school. She comes bouncing through there. And I said, remember, honey, you can do a few things in Christ. She said, no, Daddy, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And that girl from that day forth, she had no fear. She could go anywhere, stay with anybody, do anything. She could go out on a Walmart parking lot at midnight and walk in with no fear. In fact, one day Betty came home and she said, Honey, I was over at Kmart last night and then about 10 o'clock and Amanda parked way out there and she was walking across there and I thought, I pulled up there and I said, That's Amanda. And she said, She said, Amanda, honey, why don't you park closer to the building? Well, she said, Mama, I ain't afraid of nothing. God's with me. Betty told me when she got home, she said, You should have left a little of that fear in her. I said, No. I didn't want none of that beast in there. How much fear are we supposed to have in us as children of God? None. That's absolutely right. None. We're supposed to be set totally free. Because the Lord says, I did not give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when we walk in obedience to the Word and do what it says, we don't have to give place to no devil of hell. And when these demons of hell come to us to attack us, just like they come to Randy, way back yonder, and all that 22 years of those seizures he had had, or 30 years for Cheryl, or 30 years for Sharon, you don't have to put up with that nonsense. You can believe God's Word. You can repent of your sins. But that's a secret. You've got to repent of your sins. You can't keep them sins. You say, well, I can get rid of all of them but this one. I got to keep this one. That little besetting sin will keep you sick and afflicted. When God says you're to purify yourself and be holy, that's what He meant. You're to purify yourself from all evil. And when you do, then you can come to Him and He'll reveal His Word to you and He'll show you these great and mighty things and you'll be able to cast out devils and to heal the sick and you'll be able to walk in divine health. You learn that at your age, son. You can live to be an old, old, healthy man with no sickness and disease. That's where you want to live, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely. It's where you want to live. How many young men have I been called to pray for that were sick and afflicted? Or they were laying in a bed somewhere, paralyzed, 
or they had halfway recovered and maybe they couldn't talk or they couldn't walk or whatever, but yet at one time they were totally, perfectly normal, even some of them supernaturally strong, athletes and everything else. But they got into the drug world, into the sex world, the violence world, and had car wrecks or whatever, or the drugs burned out their brain, and now then they're nothing but a vegetable, or they're laying on a bed, immobile, and now then somebody wants me to come and pray the prayer of faith for them and get these kids healed. You know how they could have prevented all that? Been holy before God. Done what he said. Don't get on drugs, alcohol, and all that junk. And it won't happen to you. You walk holy before God? You don't have to worry about the devil. I think of one young man we were asked to pray for. He was in pretty sad shape. He was a supernatural athlete. And he had a car wreck. And he was fortunate. God protected him. But he didn't stop taking drugs and getting highs and driving fast. He had another one. And he got hurt some. But he was able to recover. And he did it a third time, but the third time almost cost him his life. And today, he is in very bad condition. And he will, unless God intervenes, and he may not, because he gave him three chances. The third time is when it really happened to him. He won't never be able to do nothing much at all. Why? He was stupid. He wouldn't listen to God's Word. See, the Word's written, isn't it? God has written this Word. So people say, but you can't teach these kind of things in church. If somebody don't teach these kind of things in church, if we don't understand there's a consequence for sin, then we're going to go out and do what we want to do. And then we wind up sick and afflicted or dead early. And I don't want to go there, do you? I want me and my children to be able to live and my grandchildren, I want to tell them there's a consequence for sin and just like if they do something, they're going to get a spanking. There's a consequence for disobeying. They've got to know that too. Because if they know that, then they'll know when God said it, it's real. Now then, this scripture in Luke 10, 19 and 20, I want you to see the power God has given you if you'll walk holy in obedience to His Word. Luke chapter 10, this is for the obedient Christian. This is not for the disobedient, but this is for the obedient. In Luke 10, 19 and 20, Behold, I give unto you power, or authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, Satan... The serpent is, the, is Satan, and the scorpions are his demons. The demons are those that pierce your body. They're the ones that come in. When you sin, they literally come right into your flesh, right in to torment you, to put pain, sickness, and disease upon your body, to make deaf ears, blind eyes, everything, you name it, they do it. They're the ones that does it. And one of the things I started to say a while ago, and I never did, But I was reading that Catholic Bible in Wisdom, chapter 11, verse 16, I believe it is. But the whole chapter of 11, the book of Wisdom, which we don't have in the King James Bible, that chapter 11 is talking about the parts of your body that are afflicted with sickness and disease as the parts of your body that you use to sin with. If you use your eyes to sin and watch pornography, 
you're going to get cancer in your eye. I've seen it many times. If you use your hand to steal, you're going to be afflicted with something in your hands. It's just the parts of your body that you use to sin with. That's the parts that are afflicted. So you have to realize that if you've got a part of your body that's being afflicted by something, you've done something somewhere that's allowing the devil to do that to you. Because the Lord says in His Word that if we'll be holy and do what He says, the devil will not be able to touch us. So you can live to be 120 years old and you not have anything wrong with your body. But you're going to have to walk holy in obedience to His Word. No curse comes upon you undeserved. Proverbs 26.2 You're not sick and afflicted because of no reason. It's either your sin or your parents or your grandparents. Somebody's sin, but if it's parents or grandparents, it's a curse. And you can break that curse by faith. But you have to believe the Word. And then your tongue, your mouth, is what's going to set you free. Now then... Luke 10, 19 and 20, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding of this, rejoice not that the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, since Jesus has already defeated the devil, who did he give the power to over the devil? You. Who is going to rebuke the devil and command him to leave you? You are. Not God. You say, God, will you please do something to the devil? He says, no, I already defeated him, and I've given you power, and now you force him out of your life. So when you get, when I got a hold of that, I don't know how many times I read that verse, and it didn't make any sense to me. And then finally one day when I did, I said, okay, devil, if that verse means what it says, I have power over them spirits of hell, the spirits of fear, spirits of uh, everything. And I am commanding these spirits to leave me and go to the pit of hell and not come back. And I found and noticed a fleeing devil immediately when I spoke to him in the name of Jesus. The only right I was giving the beast to attack me was my lack of faith or lack of knowledge of the Word of God. I was not living in sin. I was not lying. I was not stealing. I was not cheating. I was not doing none of those things. I was working hard, doing a good job studying the Word of God, trying to be the best employee that any employer could ever ask for. I was trying to do all those things. But my lack of faith, my lack of knowledge and understanding of the Word had allowed the devil to attack me in many ways. And those spirits that had attacked my back, that give me all these back pains and all the stuff I'd had all my life, when I commanded them to leave, they left. And I have never had a back problem again. Never. And I won't ever. I will never be down in my back again because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. But before I learned it, I was down many times. Now then, all power is given to us everywhere. He went back to heaven and is seated. All this power is given to Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he went back to heaven and he's seated to Father's right hand. And we are the body and we are to exercise our authority on earth to get things done. And most of the things that you and me pray for and beg God for is already yours. Almost everything you beg and plead for. I used to beg and plead for things from God not realizing they had already been given to me at the cross 2,000 years ago. In other words, when you become a joint heir with Christ, how many times did I read that over in Romans? I'm a joint heir with Christ. You know what it means to be a joint heir? Well, this is exactly what it says. 
everything that belonged to him belongs to you. You're a joint. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to you and to me. Isn't that wonderful? To learn what we can do. All we have to do is to speak and believe it. You have to speak it and believe it. You've got to believe it in faith. All powers, in Matthew 28, 18, all power and all authority is given unto Jesus in heaven and in earth. And he delegated that to us. He says in the next verse, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to believe everything, or to do everything I've commanded you to do. He commanded them to cast out demons, save the lost, heal the sick, all those things. Well, if you'll learn the Word and do what it says, there's a lot of it to learn. It's a big, thick book. I've been studying it for years, and I think about this one man that I know. He said, the Lord, when he was, after he got his degree and everything, the Lord told him, I want you to start teaching the book of Psalms on the radio. He said, okay, Lord, there's 150 of them. So he said, I'm on the radio every day. He said, uh, what do you want me to do when I get through the book of Psalms? He said, we'll discuss it. <laughs> I heard him say the other day, he said, I've been teaching the book of Psalms. Only book I've been teaching out of 30 years on the radio every day. And he said, I have not even begun to master the book of Psalms. Is this book a pretty awesome book? If that man was a Ph.D., and he'd graduated from one of the bigger seminaries, and he'd been teaching the book of Psalms on the radio for 30 years every day, and he now says, I have not even began to touch the book of Psalms. Every time I read something, he said, I learn many new things. Wow. Is this book deep, or is this book deep? Yes, it is. So, you think that any of us are going to master it in this life? I don't think so, but we, we want to try anyway, don't we? We want to get in it, we want to read it, and we want to do what the king says. Because we know that when we're in the book, we're pleasing the Lord. If we're in the book, we're pleasing the Lord, then he will take the devil away from you. He will watch over you and he'll protect you. And you can go through life with no sickness and no disease. But you've got to do it his way. No two ways about it. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're going to bring the day to a close. It's after 5 o'clock. We praise you and thank you for one more privilege to teach your word. And Lord, as people come forth to be prayed for, we ask you to meet every need that everyone has. Heal them, set them free, because you did it for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we're so grateful. Father, I give you praise and glory and honor for what you do out of these healing schools. The people's lives that you touch, how you change them, how you heal their flesh, and how you heal their souls how you raise them up and make them strong men and women. And many of them go from here and teach it in their own classes, their own churches. And Lord, you are glorified. And Lord, this is what it's all about. You. You're the king. And we praise you and thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, anybody needs to be prayed for, we will be happy to pray for you. If you have questions, I'll try to answer them. Uh, after we get through, we'll be here as long as anybody's here. And if you want any of the media back there, it's all free. Go get what you want. And uh, then you'll stand around and talk or go home or whatever you want to do. But we'll be here.